This is Unfiltered, episode 199 for August 10th, 2016. And this is where we begin the story that just won't die. 44 new emails released to the public as part of a conservative group's lawsuit against the State Department. Well, the messages show what the New York Times is now calling a, quote, close and sometimes overlapping interest between the Clinton Foundation and the State Department when Hillary Clinton served as Secretary of State. On the very last episode before we hit the big 200. Welcome again to Unfiltered, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. I'm Chase, running the board as always is Chris. Hello, Hi, Chris. Mr. Nunes, how are you? I'm good, Mr. Fisher. I have been looking forward to today's episode oh, all week because we've every been day, chatting back and forth, it's been so good. Every day there's been a big story. Ah. Like, well, this is the thing we're going to be talking about. This will be the big thing we're talking. No, everything's a big thing this week. It's uh, it's, it's, it's it's so packed, big, as they say, a yes. packed episode. Much to talk about in this week's episode of Unfiltered. So, one one ninety nine is also special. Before we get into everything we're talking about, just from sort of a date standpoint yes is chase i don't know if you realized it but we're damn near 90 days out straight up what from the election are you here in the serious US. and and so i consider this to be the new unfilter 90 day challenge what and, and we, do i need to do a fanfare well uh yeah that's pretty right, good actually go. okay. I, I did i like that a lot all right uh, here Sa- so, sample that there you go <laughs> yeah can we, can we get that on the loop with a beat yeah, please a... <laughs> <laughs> i don't right. wait maybe we don't want that no, actually no, so as we sit here and record it's a uh, 90 ish or, uh, oh, you can't quite see it. But oh, uh, it's, it's nine days. It's actually eighty nine <laughs> days. Eighty nine days until uh, until November eighth, two thousand sixteen. America Day. So uh, yeah, until America Day exactly. <laughs> and so I thought we would have ourselves a little ninety day challenge here on the Unfilter Show, and that is okay. We I say should all accept the challenge to not go crazy, to not uh, end up uh, going for blood at, at each other's uh, throats uh, for the Chris, next ninety uh, days. Chris, full disclosure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, it's done. I'm just talking about I, the, I'm talking about the Unfilter crew and the audience. Oh, the audience, yeah. not the yeah. crew. Because we I've only heard, uh, have to make it ninety days, guys, and then whatever happens, happens. And then the good news is we get to go through this for another four years. Because the campaign just starts right back up again. <laughs> Damn it, Chase. You know it. Damn it. <laughs> All right, so here's what we're talking about on this week's episode. Uh, first, we're going to do a little cyber because yep. we, we got Then it. we're going to talk about kittens. Then we've got um, the exact opposite of that some very important terrorism, quote unquote, terrorism updates. Oh, That's our evil kittens. This is our really kind of our news going on all around the world right. in Syria, Turkey, Russia. Big things happening between Russia and Turkey this week. Then we'll get into the 2016 stuff. The crazy things Trump is saying, the, the things that he's that the media isn't picking up on that he's laying down. Stuff that I think is probably getting a little blown out of proportion today. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. Then we'll get into Hillary. Some new emails that were released thanks yeah. to a, a Judicial Watch a lawsuit that are, in my opinion – Super, 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 super indicative of massive mm-hmm. corruption. Yep. Then, towards the end, that third party's starting to look a little better. Uh-huh. Talk about that. And then we'll end it all on a high note and with, well, a rather funny moment in uh, in daily press briefings, believe it or not. 
Another one. Yeah, and then we have a huge overtime show coming up. So let's get started. All right. No more. No more time to talk. Let's get. We don't have time for overtime because we're under time to get the time going right now. I want a cyber. And did you hear about this? uh, Did did you hear about this Delta story? Oh yes. Scott is off tonight. I'm Charlie Rose. The country's second biggest airline went into meltdown today. Meltdown. Delta's computer system, and that forced the airline to cancel 650 flights. Many more were delayed leaving thousands of passengers stranded at airports all over the world. Here is transportation correspondent Chris Van Cleve. <laughs> the FBI I don't mean to CBS laugh at Charlie, but the way he accentuates the words... It's, it's uniquely him. It's so That's, long yeah. and pronounced. Yeah, yeah, it is. Oh, God. Uh, so essentially, wow. you know, there's a couple... There's the, Delta's saying an overnight power outage. However, there are people on Pilots Forum saying it was a fire at the data center. All right. First off, you've worked for major corp- – you worked for banks, right? Yeah. And I, and I work for major corporations in my past. You have redundancies. Where's the redundancies here? Well, they were back up within a few – yeah, I agree. Yeah, it, it was pretty bad. That's bad. And I think that's why it became such a big story. Oy. Yeah. Now, here's something that's a little unsettling. Okay. Welcome back. Your phone number, address, any property you've owned, the uh-huh. car you drive, yeah. the speeding ticket you got uh-huh. years ago. What? All of this information is public and accessible. If you know where to look. But now one company is putting it all in one place. A database with a profile supposedly on every American adult. A profile that includes not just public records, but also your purchasing habits. How much you spend on groceries. Are you eating out more than usual? The company is called Interactive Data Intelligence, or IDI. And it's the first to centralize this information. I love it. Legal and media. I love this. What? I love this. This is great. Uh, are you, are you playing opposite day on me? What are you talking, what's, what's great about, what's great about this? Well, what's so great is it shows people how much of their information is out there and maybe they should do something about it. Hmm. I think it also shows people how much value the information has. It sort of underscores that and brings attention to that. Totally. But I, I think it's going to, I think the messaging will take so long to get out there in the meantime these guys are going to have a heyday. Oh, I know. Analyst Lionel of Lionel Media joining me now from our studio in New York. And you can watch the rest of Lionel in the sink if you want. Bye, Lionel. Bye, Lionel. But that is one of the reasons these data broker companies do not get enough coverage. And I think part of it is because they're sort of like this – they're like this – private industry. They're not many of them are public companies. They right. sort of low yeah. beneath the radar. So uh, the whole data broker thing. Now, this is like a mega data broker. Yikes. Huge. And you know what it would Huge. say? It would see that I do eat out a little too often. But I have been cutting back. I, you know what? You know what we need to find out is how much it costs to pull one of these reports. And I, I bet you they're going to have like a gold, silver, platinum or you, kind of a or thing. Or you have to have like a subscription maybe. Maybe. But if it's reasonable... I think we should pull each other's records. <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. <laughs> and then we share it live. <laughs> Woo! Uh, yeah, if anybody knows, let us know. Uh, actually, we should look up Hillary, really. That would be good, too. Yeah. Boy, wouldn't that be good? So uh, let's uh, shift gears and go a little overseas, and then we'll, before we get into all of the domestic stuff, let's do the overseas coverage. Our veggies, as it were, and there's some important developments. Islamic State terrorists have recently focused many of their attacks on Europe, but it's now believed that the U.S. military bases in the Middle East are being targeted as well. The information comes from an Israeli hacker group, which claims it managed to break into the terrorists' online communications. What? We spoke Ooh. to one of the hackers. 
Ortiz Guyana Chichikian has the story. So, so apparently Chicka 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 Chikan can go over there and talk to this Israeli elite hacker group that can compromise the Islamic State terrorists and that then got their master attack plans that they have digitized and probably Vizio diagrams? An Israeli cyber intelligence firm hacked into ISIL's highly encrypted chat room where the terrorist organization posts potential targets for its followers. The particular group that they hacked had about 500 followers. What they saw was a list of targets, mainly airfields used by the U.S. Air Force in various countries. The security firm says the ones in Kuwait, Bahrain and Saudi Arabia may be in particular danger. RT spoke with this Israeli cyber intel firm. Here's what they told us. So they're, a, they're an Israeli cyber intel firm. So both so I, there's three things in that sentence that are very vague, and that would be cyber, right, right, okay. Yeah. That would be also I, I'll, I'll even say firm is what exactly is a firm? Is it three people? Is it a dozen people? Is it college kids? Is it guys in their fifties? Is it uh, is, is it a group of uh, Israeli women? I mean, yeah. what, what is a firm? RT spoke. So I want to hear. So what are the three things? In Kuwait, Bahrain, and Saudi Arabia. All right. So we got we got th- three air bases and this may be in particular danger. RT spoke with this Israeli cyber intel firm. Cyber intel firm. So intel is also kind of vague. Like, what is an intel firm? Here's what they told us. Okay, let's see. So it looks that, you know, um, ISIS is pretty focused on American-related um, targets. Um, well, the locations are very precise, okay? Are they in his office? Are they, like, in the cyber intel firm's office? Is that office? lotion next to the computer? And they've got... They've, I'm serious. I'm dead serious. Have, and then they've got, like, Ruby on Rails stickers on the wall. reason yeah. to believe that airports in Bahrain, Bahrain. Um, Riyadh, and, and Qatar are in more danger, but it's a very... Well, he does say it with an accent. That, is, that looks like Telegram to me. It, it may be. Actually, that is Telegram. That yeah. is web Telegram yeah, website. Right. Big uh, map of That's lots, lots on, of, on of their targets, yeah. so we cannot tell for sure where, where it is going to happen. The idea is that people that are really Mouth following uh, this group, waiting for, you know, wait, call for action. Wait, 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 wait. Hey, there's Ubuntu! No, wait. Did Look you, at that. Did you hear that? He said what? IDI. I'm going to go back. Because I, I just was totally distracted by the fact that... Oh, uh, I know. I know. You saw it runs oh, Linux. It runs Linux, yeah. yeah. Dangerous. No, no. Listen, he okay. says IDI, which connects to our previous story. But it's a very big uh, map of lots and lots of targets, so we cannot tell for sure where it is going to happen. The idea is that people that... The idea is... Oh, okay. Boy, I yeah. That was really close. I'm really Thank following you. Uh, this group, waiting for, you know, call for actions from the, this... Uh, so he's... He's if if the B roll is to indicate what he's doing, he's in a Telegram group. So did he hack? Did he hack? Did he hack ISIS? No. Or did he just manage to join a Telegram? I think he just managed to join a group. He's just pulling up a picture in a Telegram group. Yeah. This is unbelievable. And this group waiting for you know call for actions from the, this. Yeah, that is just the image viewer from Telegram. Yeah. <laughs> a group of cyber caliphate and then take actions based on that. One particular reason for concern is that a similar group on what many call the dark web. Ooh. Ooh. It's always good when I it's like from the, the dark, dark web. web. A few months ago posted a call to attack a church in Normandy, France. And on July 26, it happened. ISIL followers murdered a priest there. Even though this Israeli firm could see the list of other potential targets, they say it is impossible to trace 
who's on the receiving end of these messages, who can potentially act on ISIL's calls. What would make these attacks nearly impossible for law enforcement to prevent is that this way they don't have to provide their recruits with the means to carry them out. I think we also I figured it out. They, 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 they infiltrated a channel. Te- yeah, a telegram channel, exactly. A channel, and a channel is one-way communication, and you can't see who else is in the channel. Right. And that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And but but there's but there's nothing that proves the person that created the channel or the group that created the channel or the person posting to the channel is an ISIS affiliate. It could just as easily be Rita Katz back at Site Intelligence Group posting stuff. Right. And who's who, who's not there? That's like so. But the conversation never goes there. We never no. we never we never we never attempt to verify the identity of anybody posting. They just well they claim to be ISIS on Twitter and they claim to be ISIS on Telegram and we just accept it at face yeah. value. Yeah. I love that. That seems really smart. So just a super quick clip on uh, an update on the drone war, something we haven't talked about in a long time. Ah, UAV. One thing I've been expecting for a while is President Obama is giving the future president the gift of codifying the entire drone program. So where Bush started the drone program in the secret, Obama is now legalizing and – well, not legalizing. What they're doing is writing policy memos and they're standardizing how to kill people and what the process is for killing selections and what what the process is for the intelligence agencies to decide on the own. So that way, either when the Donald or when the dog get into office, they'll be handed a drone package that tells them how to operate the program. Over the weekend, the White House declassified and released its guidelines for drone strikes, the steps that must be taken before deciding where and when to strike and how certain they must be of the terrorist location they are targeting. It's another attempt to be more transparent about the highly criticized practice. Last month, the Obama administration released the numbers of civilians killed in drone strikes where we are not at war. Human rights monitors had been asking the president to be more transparent for years. The new information only sparked more criticism as the numbers of civilian deaths were drastically different from those of groups tracking on the ground. Now that we know more about how the targets are picked, thanks to this newest release, Alexei Arashevsky tells us there's a new wave of doubts on how close these newly released guidelines are followed. So in other words, they look at the guidelines, they looked at the numbers that have been independently collected, and they go, wait a minute. Right. These are these things are not matching up no, here. No, but the, not equal. That's the problem. The Obama administration doesn't have time for that. We don't have no. we don't have time for that. Move on. ISIS fighters in Afghanistan claiming they've captured sensitive U.S. military equipment, including what? How many times have we ran a clip like this on this show? Like for the last year, this almost comes up at least almost yeah. every yeah. once Guns, a month at least, right? You uh, Humvees, yeah, I, white Toyota pickup trucks, always communication equipment, yes. always including that and ammunition, yeah. often yep. too. Yep. And it's been all different means. Like this is we have covered this story, and it's it's a rinse repeat, and it's not a, and it's not like a, it's not an old clip. This came out. Uh, let's see. This, Chris, this is a no spin zone. This, yeah. Okay. <laughs> ISIS fighters in Afghanistan claiming they've captured sensitive U.S. military equipment, including communications gear, oh, a rocket launcher, and the ID card of an American soldier. Well, the terrorist group posting photos an online. ID card of an American soldier? Not only that, but active duty American soldier, which is odd and obviously extremely handy. Here, but it remains unclear how the items even came into their possession. Retired U.S. Navy Captain Chuck Nash is a Fox News military analyst and joins us now sir always good to see you nice to be with you Abby. man they have the eq on her mic wrong and she's filling in she's on she's in america's newsroom hanging out with bill <laughs> and she's filling in and they have they have they need to redo her mic bad don't you agree yes it's way too hot yeah wait and in the highs and mids are just peeking out talk to us about uh these military weapons what are these where do they come from and is isis even telling the truth here 
Well, uh, I think what happened was uh, General Mick Nicholson, who's the commanding general of U.S. forces in Afghanistan, said that uh, uh, back in uh, late July, in fact, July 24th, July 25th, there was a special operations uh, operation that was going on with Afghan security forces in South uh, Nangarhar province. I will mention, too, uh the imagery here, uh, for those of you listening, it has conveniently in the corner a big ISIS flag posted. So that way yeah. you know it's legit. Oh, totally. Uh, and uh, can you see? Do they, they have they have referenced the source? Uh, they have they have sourced these images. Do you see that? Yeah, yeah I do, Chris. Uh, uh, that is uh, from the uh, site intelligence oh, oh, group. That's, yeah, isn't huh. that interesting? Yeah. Um, on the twenty fourth, one of our special operators was wounded, and on the twenty fifth, four others were wounded. So hmm. I'm starting to get a couple dots Special here operators. and maybe connect them and say that what happened possibly is that during a firefight. Interesting, by the way, um, and I think this might be in the overtime. I can't remember if I have it lined up or not. The first time Fox played this clip or aired this story, they did not blur out the soldier's face. And they Wait said a minute. There, I have a problem with this ID card. What? So underneath the American flag there, yeah. do you see that square? Yeah, I do. That is that's one of those chip uh, yeah like chips. A, like an RFID kind of a thing or like a but I don't remember and maybe a member of our military is in the uh, chat room right now I thought it showed up on the front maybe it's just the outline of it showing up on the back mm, might be but I swear I thought it was supposed to be on the front but the only reason why I bring that up is I mean obviously if it couldn't it be counterfeited or not I don't know. Well, uh, I've, I've watched a couple of reports that seem to claim that it's true, and the U.S. Okay. military said that the guy's still active. Yeah, okay. Uh, and these guys were wounded. Maybe they had to skedaddle out of no there, and there, some there, of the say. stuff was huh. left behind. What was left behind doesn't appear to be really that significant. Uh, maybe the radio, but uh, even then, there are workarounds uh, for that, especially if it's coded radio. Uh, the coded radios, uh, that encryption code changes daily. So right. um, uh, it, we don't know the circumstances, <laughs> but to me, they're just making a big deal out of nothing, quite frankly. I suspect that's actually the case. Like, I like to poke fun that we play those clips all the time, but that's not a huge stash. Uh, and that's, you know, Rita's, uh, Rita's there uh, uh, rocking the site intelligence. Oh, I know, yeah. Getting that info out. There. She's good about it. She's good, She's man. good. Yeah. So we got another report out of Syria. Uh, some progress being made by the rebels, Chase. Well, Aleppo is the second largest city. Uh, it's uh, the commercial, uh, uh, former commercial hub of Syria. Very important. Former. But you talk of Manbij as well. This is another very strategic province. And a separate battle going on there at the moment, Syrian Democratic Forces, which is uh, an alliance of Kurdish and Arab militias that's backed by the U.S. So our guys, our guys. Apparently sweeping through the town of Manbij, we understand that uh, they have nearly gotten rid of ISIS. In so you see how they're phrasing this. Um, the guys that we're backing, when they go in and they push out the government, uh, soldiers, and I would guess people that are living there. <laughs> They're they are um, what do they call it? They're uh, they're liberating the city. So when the rebels go in, but but you're liberating it from from the government that that from the rightful government of that state. Like right. that's not a liberation. No, right? that's, that yeah. sounds like that's a twist. That's newspeak. You're using newspeak to cover up the fact that the higher guns that we've sent in have kicked out the incumbent. State. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm misunderstanding, but that, that appears no, to be what they're saying. Yeah, that's exactly what they're saying. Yeah. The entire city, some 90% of the city has been swept, but the battle not over yet, Linda. There is still fighting going on. 
very strategic town because it's close to the Turkish border, uh, some 25 miles, and it's uh, part of this uh, sort of Manbij pocket. It's the hub of this pocket that's 60 miles long, 100 kilometers long. Uh, this is the, uh, along the southern border with Turkey, and uh, the Americans and Europeans believe that ISIS has been using this as a sort of two-way supply route for their men and materiel to get into and out of Syria. So. Uh, from the where? Syrian Turkey? Democratic Forces and American uh, allies very keen to take Manbij from uh, ISIS, uh, though it's far from over there. So it's so fascinating. It's so, 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 so fascinating to see the way they conflate the things. So it's not that they're taking it from Assad. They're taking it from ISIS because right. ISIS wants to be aligned with Assad. But in, re- in actuality, uh, that is not the case at all. Uh, Assad and ISIS are not aligned, and so it's they're they're completely lying to you on what's happening there. But I guess that's not a huge shock. Uh, now we're talking about uh, Turkey. I want to get to Turkey in a moment, but let's talk about the thing in between those two, and that would be your buddy, my good friend Vlad. Ah, Vlad. And uh, you remember when Vlad got upset because Turkey shot down one of their jets right on the border when they were in Syria. Speaking of that border we were just talking about, hmm, that's interesting. Well, uh, it turns out that uh, that's been patched up. That's oh. been yeah, that's been patched up. So we're gonna uh, we're gonna uh, cover a couple of clips that talk about their relationship there. But first, it has been three weeks since a failed coup attempt rocked the nation of Turkey. Since then, thousands have been arrested in a crackdown on suspected plotters, including military officers, educators, and journalists. Today, there was no mistaking the message from Turkey's leader has changed by his choice of where to travel. Oh? A telling moment in St. Petersburg. Russia's President Vladimir Putin welcomed Turkey's President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. The relations between Russia and Turkey entered into a really positive stage. I am sure that steps we both take will widen our cooperation. Your visit today means that we all want a renewal of our dialogue and restoration of our relations in the interests of Russian and Turkish peoples. It's their first meeting since those relations were sent into a tailspin last November, when Turkey shot down a Russian warplane near the Syrian border. Erdogan has since apologized, and today the two pledged to restart commercial deals. They will also discuss their different... Erdogan wants President Bashar al-Assad ousted, but Russian air power has helped keep him in place. Let's pick it up from there uh, on another clip. Uh, you can watch the rest in the sink, as always. Yes. But uh, there's some more. Western media has its eyes on Ankara and Moscow. So let's go to RT and see what their take is on this rekindling here. After a long-anticipated meeting between Presidents Putin and Erdogan, who'd been at odds with each other since last autumn. But while the two leaders seek closer ties, RT's Daniel Hawkins looks at the possible reasons behind Turkey's U-turn towards Russia. The final press conference has finished with the sun setting here in St. Petersburg. No groundbreaking announcements, no unexpected statements. But in the often complex world of international diplomacy, actions can speak louder than words. I'll tell you what's really going on. You want to know what's really going on, Chase? What's that, Chris? You want to know is the timing. So when the turkey coup happened, uh, the U.S. sat around, did nothing. We said uh, we hope there'd be stability and peace. Then the, then the coup fails. 
And after the coup fails, well, after the coup fails, then we say we support the democratically elected government of Turkey. So we sat around and did nothing while the coup was actually happening. While the coup, the coup was when they why they're flying the coup, or the turkeys were in the coup. Instead, that support came from the most unlikely source. Oh. oh. Guess who picked up the phone and called Erdogan during the thick of it all? Hmm. Enter President Putin, one of the first leaders to contact Erdogan and offer what he called moral and psychological support. Oh, psychological support yeah, and bet. moral support. That psycholo- you know what? You know what that psychological support was uh, helping him get back in power. Yeah. <laughs> it is our principal position. We always categorically stand against any attempts at unconstitutional action. And in this relation, I want to express hope that under your leadership, the Turkish people will overcome this problem and the law and constitutional order will be restored. And after the dust settled and the witch hunt began, Turkey's relationship with its key NATO partner and ally only got worse. Accusations flew of the US harboring Turkish opposition leader Fethullah Gulen, wanted as a terrorist in Turkey. Yeah, we talked about him. And also, there's still issues going on with that US military base, uh, which is just absolutely nuts. So it seems pretty clear that Putin just jumped on an opportunity. Oh, yeah, it was a huge opportunity. But but did he jump on it even though people are saying it's probably staged anyway? I think it was always – I think they were always going to patch things up. I think it was always bound to happen. It was just a, the right time, and the perfect time to do it. If – so Erdogan has publicly said that he thinks the U.S. was behind it. Right. And now he's got Putin helping him. And this is a very interesting development and a complete change from November. It's fascinating. Now, speaking of that, quote unquote, cleric. <laughs> it seems likely that the United States will extradite an imam that Turkey wanted in connection with the recent failed coup last month. Turkey blames Fethullah Gulen for the failed coup. But sources say U.S. officials have not been convinced by Turkey's evidence and are concerned about threatening public statements from Turkish officials. Gulan currently lives in Pennsylvania. Now, sources say no final decision has been made and the extradition discussions are expected to go on oh, for months. Yikes. Yikes. That's, yikes. How, we go. That's how we roll. <laughs> for months. Ouch. Oh, oh, oh. Ouch. Yeah, so that's a very interesting Ouch. development there in Turkey, I would say. Uh, and back in Russia, they they are a little hot under the collar right now. There is a story developing today that I have not seen CNN or Fox or NBC or CBS or ABC talk about. It is – to me, it seems like a pretty big deal. And I think it's kind of interesting that none of the Western media is talking about it. Today, forces from Ukraine went into Crimea. Oh? You're watching RT International live from Moscow with me, Nadira Tudor. Welcome to the program. Breaking news this hour. Russia's Federal Security Service has said it's uncovered a Ukrainian intelligence service branch operating in Crimea. It's alleged the Ukrainian group has been involved in plotting terror acts on the peninsula. For more on this story, we're joined live now by RT's Emily Sue. Emily, can you give us the details on this? Nadira, Russia's Federal Security Service, or the FSB, has successfully intercepted and prevented two terrorist attacks in Crimea. According to the FSB, the terrorist groups were planning to target key infrastructure in Crimea in a bid to sabotage the ongoing preparations for the elections there. During the raids, one FSB officer and one Russian serviceman was killed as the both sides exchanged gunfire. 
Now, see that. Uh, see, this is a uh, uh, this is an unbelievable accusation uh, that the, wow. the Ukrainian intelligence yeah. agencies are going in there trying to sabotage elections. So I looked around, and it does seem to be that two two Russian uh, intelligence officers are dead. So there are at least two dead Russians. Uh, so that that part of the story is, I've confirmed. And at the site of those raids, they were able to uncover explosives and ammunition, including grenades. The FSB also added that because of these raids, they were able to uncover a network of agents reportedly working for Ukraine's chief intelligence agency. Which uh, John Brennan, the director of the CIA, has flown to Ukraine and met with their intelligence agencies before. Uh, they have close relationships with our central central intelligence agency. The group consists of both Russian and Ukrainian nationals, and the FSB says that they have confessed to the plans of the attacks during the ongoing investigation. Perhaps a significant note that I want to point out is that according to the FSB, one of the suspects arrested and identified is an officer working for Ukraine's defense ministry. And over the past hour, we've learned that Ukrainian authorities have dismissed the allegation, describing it as as a provocation. Meanwhile, Russia has tightened security across the peninsula, particularly at its border. So I'll keep following that story, see if I can get some other reporting on it from, besides RT, because that's a hell of an accusation. Oh, no kidding. Uh, you want to get like an independent account, yeah. <laughs> essentially. But speaking of aggressive accusations... And I start by asking her, what is her greatest concern when it comes to national security? This is the Secretary of the U.S. Air Force. Oh, I think the number one threat is Russia. Uh, Russia is one of the handful of companies that... Wait, wait, what? Excuse me? What did she say? Companies. I think she said companies. Handful the threat of- is Russia. Uh, Russia is one of the handful of companies that could actually present an existential threat to the United States. Of course, right, I'm going to stop right here. I'm just going to say I'm not a, I'm not some Mr. Russia here. I'm not uh, in the Putin fan club. But uh, this sounds like hyperbole. I, I hate I hate having to sometimes sound like I'm defending Russia right. when I'm just asking for rational d- dialogue. Yeah, because it's it, this just is, seems over the top. Of course, they have uh, nuclear weapons. They have been acting in very aggressive manners in recent years, and they're also investing and they're testing military capabilities. But we do that, too. Like, yeah, we things, invest and test military capabilities. All these things are true for us. Uh, South Korea does that. Uh, many, of many many countries do this. Canada yeah. does that. Yeah. Give us pause that are very worrisome to the United States and to our allies. I recently uh, was in Ukraine. Ukraine, of course, is suffering as we speak from the um, illegal annexation of the Crimea. And there's all... Well, now, the Crimea. The Crimea. And how, the Iraq, now, and the, such as. The, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so so how, how... Okay. Crimea succeeding from the rest of Ukraine is right. causing suffering and dying? That doesn't make any sense. Oh, no, because uh, the food ships can't get in, Chris, and the oil and, and yeah, stuff. Right. The and, Crimea. And, and there's also uh, all kinds of ceasefire uh, violations going on in the eastern part of the country. So people are suffering and they're dying and destruction is happening. And destruction is happening. That's your analysis. There's people are dying and destruction is happening. And this how, is happening how in vague. part because can, can of Russian actions. This? That is the uh, U.S. Uh, wow. Secretary right there. Yeah, yeah. By the way, I have some uh, footage of the bombs that uh, the, the Ukrainian spies had uh, in the bags they had in the uh, supporter sink. If you guys want to check that out, kind of interesting to see it. To tell you the truth, it's uh, fascinating to see the the bombs and the makings and the kits and the all that good stuff they had. So Chase, yes, 
that is your we just we just booked through it today. That is your around the world update. Uh, we're going to come back and do some domestic things first because there is a lot happening there. And you know, I've heard from some of our uh, over the pond listeners, and they do appreciate the uh, coverage we do because uh, for them, their selections of actually getting good coverage on this stuff are even a little more limited than they are in the states, which is almost hard to believe, but it's true. So I want to just take a moment and I want to thank our patrons at Patreon.com/unfiltered. Yes. Before, we, before we shift gears here, this would be the perfect time to say this show is brought to you by our audience. If you sit back and you see this crazy news coverage of what's happening and you think to yourself, this needs to be better, you can participate in making it better by becoming one of our patrons. You get access to our supporter sync when you go to a certain dollar amount and above. If you're in the 33 Club, you can send us in emails during the show that will get read. You get swag sent to you. You also get the satisfaction at any level of keeping us on the air. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Also check there. You don't even have to be a patron. I've been posting the full live streams. Mr. Chase, do you have anything in your sack you want to open up? Uh, well, I, I have some information I can share in the sack. Okay. So if you, if you uh, yeah, want to... Yes! It's sack time! Unfortunately, I don't have anything in the sack this week, but it's partly my fault. OMG, OMG, OMG. I know, I know. So here's the deal, you guys. I have a sack for all Club 33 members out there. If you have 33 or above, you, you can send in a message into the show. You can report what's going on in your local community, what's happening in your world, why you like the show, why you hate the show, all that fun stuff. Oh, my gosh. It's Anderson Cooper, everybody. But unfortunately, we didn't get any notes this week. And I think partly the reason is I, I'm, I'm waiting too long. Uh, I'm posting it the same day. I should be giving you guys a lot more time. So starting tomorrow or the day after we record episode 199, I'll be pushing out... A request for feedback. Now, the exception, though, will be next week's episode. See, next week is episode 200. And honestly, we would not be here if it wasn't for you guys who support us on Patreon. So, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to be opening this up, the special mail sack edition, chase the sack edition for episode 200 to anybody at $5 or more per month. You can tell us what's going on in your world. I just ask that since we have a lot of you who support us at five or more, that you keep it to about a paragraph of information, okay? So send in your notes. I'll be posting a post on the Unfilter Patreon page for five or more per month for episode 200 next week. So we really hope to hear from you. And that's it for my sack. I, 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 I will. I will. Uh, hey. Hold, hold, hold on, guys. Come on. I, the, uh, uh, there's just. Uh, Mr. President. I, I, thank you. I like it. Patreon.com slash unfiltered. It'd be great to get a nice bump. We're at 451. I'd love to see a nice bump for 200 because, man, we are hustling for this show these days. Oh, the man. So much going on. So much going on. <sighs> Why don't we talk about that 2016 election, which is making us hustle? Let's start with uh, the big headlines that Trump is making today as we record. It seems like there's something every week the media likes to freak out about. It's almost right by the, it goes by the clock oh. almost. And of course, here is this week's. All right. We were listening just a short while ago to Donald Trump. He's out on the campaign trail. He's in uh, the important battleground state of North Carolina, specifically in Wilmington. Uh, and he just made a statement uh, that we want to play for you. I've still got Kaylee McEnany sitting next to me, a Trump supporter, uh, to talk about perhaps what the imp- implications uh, of this statement were. Here you, here you have it for yourself. Hillary wants to abolish, essentially abolish, the Second Amendment. By the way, and if she gets to pick... If she gets to pick her judges, nothing you can do, folks. Although the Second Amendment people, maybe there is, I don't know. But, but I'll tell you what, that will be a horrible day. 
So everybody's freaking out about that All statement. Right. By the way, did you see the older gentleman on the right in the red uh, yeah. polo? Yeah. Like how he, he did that old yeah. man. Yeah, did you see the kid in front of him is totally asleep? Yes. <laughs> and he's asleep. What do you think? Do you think, so here's what everybody says. Everybody says, obviously he meant uh, that the people that want to defend their Second Amendment, right, Amendment rights will politically organize together. Uh, and he also meant that the NRA is a powerful lobby. That's what everybody's saying he meant. Uh, I, 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 I listened to this clip a lot. Now, first time I saw the clip, my mind immediately went to the bad place, right? But as I heard the whole clip in context, like uh, I sent you a link today, C-SPAN had the full clip, yeah, unedited yeah. version, yeah, yeah. and I heard it in all all context. I think he just didn't deliver what he was oh, trying no. to say. I, it's really hard here's for me what, to determine. Here's what. Here's uh, what. It's just bad. Okay. Here's what. Bad on either way. Here's what. Yeah, sure is. Here's why I. Here's why I'm convinced 100 percent he was talking about assassination. All right. 100 percent. Because if he was talking, if he if he was truly talking about, he meant the political movement of people that wanted to defend, that support the Second Amendment. Yeah, and if he meant the NRA lobby, right. Which he's supposedly for the Second Amendment rights. Right. He's supposedly for gun ownership. Right. He's supposedly for the NRA. He's been. Right. Then why would that be a horrible day? Play it again. Do we have the? Is it? So if she gets to pick her judges. See, it'd be a horrible day if she gets to pick her judges. I th- I think there's just too long of a pause. No, there. I don't think so. Because listen, no? nothing you can do, folks. Although the Second Amendment people, maybe there is, I don't know. But but I'll tell you what, that will be a horrible day. Yeah, but, I don't. but he goes on to talk about it would be a horrible day if she gets her judges in. Yeah. A lot of, uh, and I think, do they cut it off right there? Yeah, they do, of course. And, they all, and, all of them do. And, they, right, all they all do. Yes, yes. They all cut it off. And so. I'm not, I, I still, I, I still, because, the, why, I still think the way he says that. No, I uh, agree. It's terrible the way he says it. I have the, and uh, I, I have the clip that, uh, the, do you remember, is it this one or is it, uh, I think it's this first one, right? It's, uh, no, yeah. no, no, no. Sc- I think it's this Just one. minutes no, ago, it's Trump said something. It's not that no, one. Scroll it's down. Not that scroll one. down. Right. Scroll down. Yeah. That one. Yeah, it's this one. This is the unedited version here. The C-SPAN networks bring you long-form public affairs programming from the nation. <laughs> C-SPAN. Uh, I don't want to watch right the Right about whole there, thing, 44, but... right? Yeah, right there. The Second Amendment. By the way, and if she gets to pick... If she gets to pick her judges, nothing you can do, folks. Although the Second Amendment people, maybe there is. I don't know. But... But I'll tell you what, that will be a horrible day if if Hillary gets to put her judges. See, right, now we're right tied. there. I don't think so. See, the thing you think is, he added that part because yeah. it sounded so bad. He's he he's he was described last week, and I think it's perfect. He speaks elliptically. He he says something, then he says something else, then right. he comes back to the thing he said. I right. still, yeah, even you see what's going on. We're tied because Scalia. This was not supposed to happen. Justice Scalia was going to be around for 10 more years at least. If Hillary gets to put her judges, right now we're tied. You see? Yeah, I think, I don't think so. I think he's just, I think so. The way he speaks, just watching him a lot, is he starts something, he branches, and then he comes back to it. So he was branching about. All right. So let's play, let's play your, 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 your 100% certainty here for a moment. Yeah. Let's let's play this. All right. Yeah. Why in the hell would he do something like that? I mean, that for the same reason last week he said he loves babies, and then he couldn't help himself and said to kick the baby out. I think it's this is so. Here's it's what I so bad. 
And and here's here's the really disastrous thing. Right. This is exactly what the Clinton campaign needs because <laughs> remember they, my my bacon theory. <laughs> they have figured out that the way for Hillary Clinton to win because people lo- dislike her so much, yeah, is simply just not for the media to be talking about her. And as long as they're talking about Trump, they're not talking about her emails. Right. They're not talking about the contents. Yeah. Uh, and of course, he says it's he says uh, he says it's just all ridiculous. Donald Trump on the defensive again. I think no other interpretation. I mean, I mean, give me a break. Blaming media bias for the firestorm over this quip at his campaign rally. Hillary wants to abolish, essentially abolish the Second Amendment. By the way, and if she gets to pick if she gets to pick her judges, nothing you can do, folks. Although the Second Amendment people, maybe there is, I don't know. But Trump doing damage control, claiming he was calling on the political powers of Second Amendment voters to make their voices heard, not advocating violence toward his rival. This is a political movement. This is a strong, powerful movement, the Second Amendment. You know, Hillary wants to take your guns away. She wants to leave you unprotected. Is the Second Amendment a movement, Chase? In your home. Clinton's campaign quickly denouncing Trump, saying he is dangerous and a presidential candidate should not suggest violence in any way. You know, that's funny because Hillary suggested violence against or suggested that violence might happen to uh, Obama when she was running against him back in the day. And actually, so did Biden. I think I have that linked in the show notes. Uh, I just I don't know, Chase. I think I think it's damage control. I think everybody is universally uh, treating it as such. But I think he just says stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's he, he doesn't have a filter. Uh, no pun on the name of our show. But it, I. And it's perfect. I, 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 it, it, it just it's it perfect, takes words out of my mouth because he, it's like he's what? like he, he's he's like a built-in dog whistle for the media constantly, right? And so what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about the things that they weren't talking about while they've been covering that incessantly. So oh, now totally. we're going to shift yeah. gears here a little bit. Uh, I want to go back in time to just a little bit after last week's episode. You remember last week we were speculating, or maybe it was the week before, that it sounded like there was implications that somebody may have died as a result of Hillary's leaks. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, now we might have a name. Welcome back. This is CNN. Uh, A deadly case of alleged espionage. An Iranian nuclear scientist accused of spying for the United States has been executed. And now the blame game over his death, spilling into the race for the White House. Uh, Donald Trump and a number of his uh, fellow Republicans. Right to Donald. Right to Donald. Right. What it is, it's Hillary. So here's so let's uh, let's let's change venues so you can actually get a take on what's happening uh, because the Clinton News Network just immediately pivots to Donald. (laughs) But uh, what happens is Hillary was talking about this spy and referring to her as her friend in the email, which clearly demonstrates that because they, right. did, they wanted her friend, it was she knew he was a spy and needed to be careful. So this clip talks about that, and they bring in the judge. Well, thank you very much. I want to get reaction now from Judge Andrew Napolitano. And obviously, you know Hillary's going to deflect or attempt to deflect, but this does this looks awful. It does. It does look awful. Look, we don't know what evidence was presented against him in his so-called treason trial. I say so-called because the Iranians do not have a system of due mm-hmm. process like we do. There was a secret trial. He was convicted, sentenced to death. He appealed. The appeal was upheld, and apparently, he was executed on on Sunday, Iranian time. 
Um, we just do happened. know that there was this email. Uh, Mike uh, spoke of several, but one in particular is from Hillary herself referring to this person as, quote, our friend. Now, that shows a conscious awareness of the fact that she cannot use his name because somebody might be able to hack into the mm. email. Uh, so for her to say, I didn't realize that this was secret, sure. I didn't know that I had to protect this, is an argument that nobody will believe. She's talking about Amer an American spy to whom American, an Iranian spy to whom American intelligence agencies paid millions of dollars, intelligence agencies that worked for her. And even if, even if it wasn't as a result of her emails, it's still unbelievably negligent. Wow. It's something else, right? Oh. So uh, last week, this is really interesting. These two, 198 and 199, are really, they really bookend each other pretty well. Uh, we were speculating on the source of the DNC leak. We were not buying the Russian line. We were not buying that. And we played some clips where Assange kind of implied that the two things were not linked. Now we have a name of who leaked two WikiLeaks and... Oh, it's a Russian, of course, right? It's Vladimir Putin. Nope. It is a dead Bernie Sanders supporter who was an environmentalist. Wait. A dead one. Yeah, Chase. Dead. Just days before the leaks were published by... What? Wow. Well, here's a new twist. Was that DNC staffer assassinated? WikiLeaks is now offering up a $20,000 reward for any information on Seth Rich's death, adding to the speculation that he was the DNC email leaker. Fox 5's Melanie Alwick is live in Washington, D.C. with details. Good morning, Melanie. Hey, good morning, guys. And this is really jaw-dropping uh, developments here. Now, Seth Rich worked as the voter expansion data director here at DNC headquarters. And there are a number of, let's just call them intriguing things about his murder a month ago. Now you add this interview with uh, WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, and that has really thrown gasoline on all of these Internet theories. Internet theories, Chase. Internet theories. Because we don't speculate about things like that in the no, press. No, no. And if it's internet, it must be fake and not real. Whistleblowers go to significant efforts to get us material and often very significant risks. As a 27-year-old who uh, works for the DNC, who was shot in the back, murdered uh, just two weeks ago uh, for un unknown reasons as he was walking down the street in Washington. So that was, that was just a robbery, I believe, wasn't it? Yeah, no, yeah. It's, there's no finding. So, uh, that's what are you the suggesting? Sort of, what are you suggesting? What, I'm suggesting that our sources uh, take risks. But was he one uh, of your sources then? I mean, we don't comment on who our sources are. That's a yes. First of all, he referred to them as he was working with WikiLeaks, right? And then he particularly then he brings up the particular risk that they face in that context. Bit of the back details here. It's, uh, it was 4 a.m. on a Sunday, 12 days before WikiLeaks dumped that cache of damaging DNC emails. So he shot in the back 12 days before the cache comes out. He worked at the DNC. Um, he was in a neighborhood where there had been some robberies in the past, so that's an easy cover. Rich was walking home. He was blocked from his house. There were gunshots and police say signs of a struggle. And though Rich was alive when police arrived, he couldn't tell them anything. Now, there had been several armed robberies in that neighborhood, but Rich's wallet and cell phone were still with him when he died. At oh, what? Now, Chase, uh, I've never robbed anybody before. Have you ever robbed anybody? No. 
Um, I would not say that publicly. But, but if no, I was, if I <laughs> no, was, I haven't. If I was going to shoot you in the back and rob you, yeah. I think I would take your money, your wallet, and maybe well, your phone. That is typically the definition of robbery: yeah. is taking those things. That's usually how you get robbed, right? Yeah, that's usually what that is. Is it a robbery if nothing's taken? No, it's not. Several it's armed it's robberies in that neighborhood, but Rich's wallet and cell phone were still with him when he died at the hospital. So. What? And his wallet was full of money. Uh, she's not saying that. Well, here's the question. Does WikiLeaks really have some information here, or is this nothing more than a distasteful publicity stunt? D.C. police, for their part, have said that there is uh, no information to suggest that Seth Rich's murder was connected to his job. No. Meanwhile, they're happy to How take How would they the even have that information in the first place? I know, right? Oh, by the way. Reward yeah. money now up to $45,000. So the reward money's gone up to $45,000. Now, here's the problem. Anybody that got high Hired to do that hit, got paid way more than forty-five thousand oh, yes, dollars. Yes. But I find that to be fascinating. Wow! Yeah, here's a little bit more. I say the way to deal with this is pretty simple. So this guy, he's got a, he's got a way to deal with this. And you know, uh, this is this is something you have to take pretty take take, take his recommendation into serious consideration. I say the way to deal with this is pretty simple. We got special ops forces. I mean, a, a dead man can't leak stuff. This guy. What? What? This is Bob Beckel on, on Fox. This is what he thinks we ought to do uh, as a response. So when asked to comment on the story, this was his response. He's a traitor, a treasonous, and, and, and he has broken every law of the United States. The guy <laughs> ought to be, and I'm not for the death penalty, so if I'm not for the death penalty, he's only one to do it, illegally shoot the son of a b- <laughs> Can you believe that? Wow. <laughs> yeah, I know. And the guy's, that guy's. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, he's, he's Fox's quote unquote Democrat. Um, wow. Yeah. Do you remember, we just briefly covered it because it was sort of a non-story, but uh, ab- about a month ago, there was uh, a story out that Loretta Lynch and the DOJ were trying to block the release of Hillary Clinton's, uh, another batch of Hillary Clinton emails until well after her, uh, well, if she won when she was in office, about a 27-month delay. They they were seeking a 27-month delay on Hillary Clinton's emails. This clip might remind you if you guys don't recall this story. emails you might not see at least for a while like way after the november election because the doj filed a motion seeking a 27 month delay in releasing clinton foundation emails interesting now looking back at this you can see loretta lynch taking steps to protect hillary even before her private meeting yeah no kidding yeah now those emails are correspondence among secretary clinton's top four aides at the state department clinton foundation officials and a public relations firm that president bill clinton helped launch now, if this motion succeeds, we would be 22 months into a hypothetical Hillary Clinton presidency before we'd see even one of those emails. Chairman of the American. So, guess what, Chase? What, uh, Chris? We were, it's it's Christmas in August for yeah. us. Yep, yeah. we. Uh, we are the big wieners. Uh, Show it on the board. Thanks to a Judicial Watch lawsuit, uh, we got those emails early, and uh, your buddy Bill Heimer <laughs> is uh, here to break it down for us. Hey, guys, thank you, everybody. Good morning. Newly released Hillary Clinton emails once again showing the top donors to the Clinton Foundation were possibly seeking special favors from the State Department when Clinton was at the helm. As we say good morning, breaking news on this. I'm Bill Heimer, live here inside of America's newsroom. It is Wednesday. How you 
you doing? Good to be You're here. You're still standing. I am still here. I'm happy <laughs> here to be go. here. Happy Wednesday to all of you. I'm for Mark McCain. <laughs> here we go. He's so awkward. And on the version they cut online, uh, they cut that out. So I'm, I'm showing you our broadcast feed version. Wait, of it they here. actually edited that? Yeah, they did. They cut it out. <laughs> oh, my God. The, the intro clip I played is this cut out. Uh, yeah, so here, I got to just play it back because I love Bill so much. He's he's such a goofball. He's my favorite. <laughs> and you can tell he knows he's screwed up. Was at the helm. As we say good morning, breaking news on this. I'm Bill Hemmer, live here inside of America's newsroom. It is Wednesday. How you doing? Good to be You're here. You're still standing. I am still here. I'm happy <laughs> here to be go. here. Happy Wednesday to all of you. I'm Abby nice. Huntsman, in for Martha McCallum. And this is where we begin the story that just won't die. 44 new emails released to the public as part of a conservative group's lawsuit against the State Department. Well, the messages show what the New York Times is now calling a, quote, close and sometimes overlapping interest between the Clinton Foundation and the State Department when Hillary Clinton served as Secretary of State. Listen. There is absolutely no connection between anything that I did as Secretary of State and the Clinton Foundation. Um, so people can say that, but I'm proud yeah, of our yeah. philanthropic uh, work, our personal family philanthropic work, the work of the Clinton Foundation. All right. So Rich Edson is live for us in Washington with the latest. Rich, what are these new emails revealing? Now, good morning, Abby. And a longtime Clinton advisor who helped establish the Clinton Foundation asking those working then in the Clinton State Department to help foundation donors. In one email... You know, it's interesting in the emails, uh, and I'll talk a little more about it here in a second, yeah. or we'll play another clip here in a sec, but uh, there is some coziness. There's some ties that where if you, if you donate to the Clinton Foundation, you get favors in the State Department. Okay, Nancy, as you know, Hillary Clinton is facing a series of new questions about her emails. There's a newly released batch of messages. A newly released batch. That's the a new batch. So it's a new a, batch of messages. And what I, I find interesting about that term is it sort of downplays the significance of it. Well, it's just another batch of the same thing we already know about. This isn't a big deal. That's what it feels like when it's a new batch. Do you do you grok that at all? Like, do you feel like that at all? No, no. I feel like the new batch thing is like uh, is like a down. It's like yeah, they're downplaying it. it. It's like yeah. oh, here's some more emails. It's just another set of emails. Just another set. It's just, Let's just, just move on. It's just We're... another batch of emails. Well, CNN has a report here on uh, what's in some of these emails. This just lightly covers it. It's not the whole thing. There are nearly 300 pages of emails. Some of them show just how easy it was for Clinton donors to get Clinton favors. Case in point: Gilbert Shiguri. He's a Nigerian-Lebanese billionaire seen here with Bill Clinton at the opening ceremonies for the Shiguri Brothers' multi-billion-dollar waterfront development in Nigeria. And if you have not yet, please spend a little time. Go watch uh, Clinton Cash. It is worth your time to see. They just demonstrate time after time after time after time after time after time how you buy political influence via the Clinton Foundation and the Clintons will you do your bidding. They show multiple instances where the Clintons 180 on policy positions that they've literally held for 20, 30 years. It's a fascinating watch. And so these emails reveal exactly that same kind of stuff that it happened even while she was Secretary of State. Now, where did this batch of emails come from? I kind of mentioned it earlier, but I'll just repeat it because I see the question in the chat room. This came from a lawsuit filed by ju- the Judicial Watch and as part of Judicial Watch's lawsuit, Suit, these emails were released, and a judge declined the DOJ's request to hold them until after the election. The project was done under the umbrella of a Clinton Global Initiative to reclaim Nigeria's coastline. The Shiguris and Bill Clinton go way back. Gilbert Shiguri is listed as donating between $1 and $5 million to the Clinton Family Foundation. And in this new batch of emails, it seems Gilbert Shiguri could use his connections to open doors. 
In 2009, it appears Shiguri wanted to connect with a top U.S. official in Lebanon. Doug Band, who was heading the Clinton Foundation at the time, stepped in to help. He emailed Hillary Clinton's top aides at the U.S. State Department, Cheryl Mills and Huma Abedin, asking that Gilbert Shiguri be placed in touch with the State Department's substance person. On talking to Uma Abedin is literally better than talking to Hillary. Um, I and I, you really have to understand this to, to understand why this is important. Uma has been with Hillary since Bill's second term, since he was right. running for a second yeah, term. She's been there for a while. She is her right hand, and everybody in Hillary's circle knows that to get access to Hillary, you go through Uma. In fact, it's often better to talk to Uma because Hillary just punts those kinds of things to Uma, anyways. So it it. The line that the Clinton campaign is coming up saying that, well, they were talking to Uma, not Hillary, is completely invalid because that is who these people should have been talking to to get favorable actions on their part. Be placed in touch with the State Department's substance person on Lebanon. Ban, who once interned for Mills, reminds both Hillary Clinton aides that Shiguri is a key guy there and guy. to us. And he's asking that Abedin call the former U.S. ambassador to Lebanon so the Clinton donor and the former ambassador can connect. But there's no mention of why. There's so, there's so much power. If you donate to the Clinton Foundation and you get access to Uma Abedin, you have access to the Clintons. You, have, you are there. You've made it. That is worth its weight in gold, especially if you need some special favor in Lebanon. There are Clinton Foundation requests for a favor in finding someone a job, paying attention to someone whose ambassadorship was turned down. An intermingling of emails between state, the Clinton Foundation, and others, giving the overall effect that it's really hard to tell where any lines are drawn. Yeah, in fact, the fun one is, uh, hey, I didn't get my ambassadorship. I thought I was going to get a political favor, so can you hook me up with something else? That, it's basically that kind of right. thing. It is a gross disgusting preview of what would happen if Hillary Clinton became president. That would cement the power of the but, Clinton family. But, but as according the, to you, Chris, it's a done deal. I think it is a done deal, yeah. I, I do think it is a Not done deal. Not unless someone gets 15%, maybe. Well, we're going to get there, but yeah, first, before we get there, you remember uh, your good friend, CBS contributor, your buddy, Mike Morell? Oh, Mike, yeah. Former CIA director, yep. uh, interim and uh, deputy director. He, After he left the CIA, he did what all lifelong... CIA analysts do. He went and worked for CBS, hung out with Charlie. But he quit recently. Oh, he did? Yeah. I didn't he, know he quit. Yeah, he quit. He also suspended his activity on a public board, which we will get to in a moment. Uh, and he came out swinging for Hill Dog strong. Really? Yeah. He is going all in partisan, and it's, it's fascinating. I want to play a little bit of this for you. I have the entire interview with Charlie Rose. In the supporter sink. Mike Morell is here. He's a former acting and deputy director of the CIA. He was also a contributor to CBS News, but recently resigned in order to publicly endorse Hillary Clinton. On Friday, he wrote a scathing op-ed in the New York Times where he called Trump a poor and dangerous commander-in-chief. He even said that Trump was a Russian stooge, a uh, Putin stooge. Donald Trump, Morell writes, is not only unqualified for the job, but he may well pose a threat to our national security. Now, that's that is that's a heavy statement for a former CIA director to come out and say. Yeah, I am pleased to welcome Mike Morell back to this table. I bet you are welcome. Great to we be here, Charlie. To talk about. Great to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about, talk about why you felt compelled um, to change where you were. 
So I want to jump ahead because we're gonna we'll talk. Why'd more about you quit this. the job? Yeah, we paid you a lot of money. Yeah, no, I think it's because he sucked super bad on CBS. He was re- every time yeah. he was on air, it was super bad. I think it was coming to an end. Um, I, I I seem to remember there was a reason I wanted to jump ahead about five minutes. I did. I did. Um, so what you say will be measured differently. So you know, two issues here. In fact, I'll back up a little bit because I, I I do remember what they're discussing, and, and Charlie's asking why did you quit a great job, and why are you going from being a not being considered nonpartisan to a partisan now? Did you think about that? About the consequences of not speaking out, the potential consequences of not speaking out. Did you consider um, beyond the fact that it might attack somebody, an institution love the PIA? Um, that you would also open yourself to attack. Secondly, you'd have to resign from public boards. Thirdly, uh, you... Public boards. Public boards. Uh, and what then public boards? Listen to how... So they very clearly talk about how he uh, is no longer associated with CBS, very openly talk about that, but then they always say public boards. Public boards. We're a right. contributor at CBS, and, and what, you know, that you'll be perceived now as a partisan. I did. I did. Um, so what you say will be measured differently. So, you know, two issues here. One was, um, unfortunately, I needed to resign from CBS for obvious reasons, right? right? Yeah. Um, I took a leave of absence from the board. From the public board. Right. right? The public board. The public board. Right. Um, because I didn't want this linked to them in any way, and it's not linked to them in any way. It's not linked to CBS in any way. You know what that public board is? Yeah, please tell me, Chris. And I have a link in the show notes for information. It is a company that works with... Can you guess which company they work with? Uh, I'll tell you what. They're a foundation. It's a, it's the public the public board he's on is a company that works with a foundation. Can you guess which foundation it is? Would it be the Clinton Foundation? Oh, it is. That's right, Chase. That's right. Mike Morrell works with a company, and he's on the board of a company associated with the Clinton Foundation. And that's why he's out shucking hard. And I'm going to see if you can guess what he's angling wow. for. He's angling for something. I want to see if you can nail it. I talked today to Michael Morell, former deputy director of the CIA, and until recently a CBS News contributor. He suggests the United States should support more aggressive action by Syrian rebels. What? When we were in Iraq, the Iranians were giving weapons to the Shia militia who were killing American soldiers. Right. right? They were making the Iranians were making us pay a price. The Iranians were making the U.S. pay a price in soldiers in blood. We need to make. The, the Iranians pay a price in Syria. We need to make the Russians pay a price. What? Here's the other thing I want to do. I want to go after, I want to go after those things that Assad sees as his personal power base, right? I want to scare right. Assad. I want him to think about, um, this is not going to end well for me. What, what, could, do you, what do you suppose? What's he doing here, Chase? Well, that sounds bloodthirsty. He goes on even to say that we should kill soldiers. So covertly. obviously he's appealing to uh, Clinton's war hawk mentality. Uh, obviously he's gunning for a job. Yeah, he wants a job in the new administration. Yeah, absolutely. He sees. He thinks the tide's absolutely. going this way. Totally. Yeah. And I think it's also interesting because we've speculated that, there, that the NSA may be anti-Hillary and the CIA may be pro-Hillary, and this would seem to also underscore that. Hayden has also come yep, out. that's right. Uh, yeah. So this um, is an extremely odd development and a war hawk now on the side of Hillary, a war hawk. And then, of course, <laughs> there is a story that's been rising people's eyebrows, and this is the one that Trump says, hey, look, if you weren't talking about my Second Amendment comment, you'd probably be talking about this. It's so exciting to have this chance to talk with all of you. Who's that, Chase? You know, Wait, Bill and I were that? 
in Orlando about two weeks ago, and we had a chance to... Do you see him? Do you see him in the background? Do you know yeah. who it is? No. That is the father of the Orlando nightclub shooter. Wow. He was invited there by the DNC. And now the Hillary Clinton campaign, now the Clinton campaign is trying to back out of that one. Sit down with Mayor Dyer. There he is taking a selfie. Other elected <laughs> officials, members of the clergy. But you see, they're so busy talking about Trump's Second Amendment comment, they're not talking about the fact that that guy is sitting in the crowd. Wow. Isn't that something? Isn't that really something? Wow. Look over here. Yeah. So these new email releases are pretty significant because they, they pretty directly demonstrate Hillary doing favors while in the State Department for her friends. When you combine that with the information that's in the Clinton cash documentary or the book or the now they even have a graphic novel of it, people, they want you to look at it. And it's worth it. Just go, in, go watch the Clinton cash documentary on YouTube with the mindset that you know, it's, it's got an agenda. And if you go into it with that mindset and you filter it properly, they're still really good. The data is the data. It's good information. Right. Yeah. Pretty nuts. So you want to talk about the third-party candidate? Uh, yes. Uh, well, there's multiple third parties out there, there but, but yeah. the main one that's getting yeah. a lot of traction is uh, Gary Johnson course, and Bill Wilde. And, and, and also uh, Jill Stein's Jill getting Stein. some attention too. Yeah. But uh, the big question is, will either uh, either one of them or any third-party candidate make it up on that debate stage? Thank 48 you. days to the first presidential debate. Meanwhile, will there be two candidates or now we're talking about three? The Commission on Presidential Debates is urging the venues hosting the debates to be prepared for a third-party candidate huh. as Gary Johnson gains in the polls. To the Washington Examiner, Sarah Westwood, on how she sees this playing out. In fact, some show them up as some of the polls show them up at ten percent now, which fifteen is the magical number, Chase. Yeah, and um, I, I, I wrote, read an article, obviously about you know the uh, Commission on Democrat uh, pu- Presidential Debates, sorry, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and saying yeah, the add a third seat, and they also said in the article that if he got close, say about fourteen percent. They're going to let him come on. It's not like they're... This could be one of the most interesting freaking developments in this entire oh, damn huge. thing. And to see him up on that debate stage would be... I would be so excited about that just because you'd have two extremely polarizing characters and he would come across. I don't, I don't know how he'd come across, actually. You know what? Why don't we talk about how he'd come across after we watch this interview because the marijuana question always comes up with mm-hmm. Gary. And I just monitor his appearance, his responses with this and tell me what you think. And then we'll talk about how he'd do on the debate. I am taking a look at the Libertarian ticket. If it were Governor Weld at the top, I would vote for him because I know Governor Weld very well and I respect him. But I have a lot of concerns about Governor Johnson's drug use. Welcome back. In this unpredictable election year, debate organizers are trying to expect the unexpected. And there is a report from Politico that, of course, they know they're going to have to keep their options open for an extra podium on stage. And if either of my next two guests have their way, they'll they'll have to set up two podiums uh, and make it a four-way. We'll talk to each of them in just a moment. But let me give you some background. According to our NBC News survey monkey poll, Hillary Clinton has raced to a 10-point lead over Donald Trump. But watch what happens when this becomes a four-way race. Trump's number drops by three points. Clinton's drops by seven here, by the way, and in this one, Libertarian candidate Gary Johnson clocks in with double digits, and Jill Stein is sitting at 4%. But each of these third-party candidates 
has to reach 15% before they can grace the debate stage as far as the Commission on Presidential Debates is concerned. In some states, they're still fighting for ballot access in a year where the leading candidates have historic low popularity. Mm -hmm. The environment is ripe for a third or fourth I or agree. fifth alternative. So why are they still having trouble winning over some of these disaffected voters? Joining me now is Libertarian presidential nominee Gary Johnson. Governor Johnson, welcome back to the show, sir. Chuck, always good to be with you. Thank you. I take it by that we have a little bit of a satellite delay, so I will try to not interrupt you too much. Number one, let me get you to respond to Susan Collins, who has concerns about your drug use. Talk to her. You see how Chuck there was doing the token? He was token with his hand there. It was yeah. yeah. My drug use? Uh, well, uh, honesty, I think, is uh, first and foremost. So three months ago, I was asked uh, if I had used marijuana. And yeah, my answer was yes. And I hope in the context of honesty that she would appreciate that. And you know what? I'm one of 100 million Americans who have uh, consumed marijuana. We're not, uh, we're not criminals. And as president of the United States, uh, I don't think you should be on the job impaired. It's a 24-7 job, so I'm not going to consume any marijuana or alcohol. And uh, same running for president. Uh, it's a 24-7 job. I'm not consuming any marijuana. And it's been 29 years on the alcohol. Nothing to do with being an alcoholic, just the notion of being the best that you can be. So what do you think uh, of his answer and his performance there to that? I question? think it was very solid. I think it was very good. You know, the issue that the third-party candidate always has is they come across looking a little more disheveled and not as uh, as tightly dressed and snappy dressed because the other candidates have makeup artists and oh, wardrobe yeah. paid yeah. by the yeah. DNC and the RNC. They have entire uh, image consultants that, yeah. that handle that stuff. I thought that was a pretty good answer, too, and I think that's a pretty solid one that will hopefully put some of that controversy down. Speaking of controversy, why don't, why don't we stay in the high-note category here and uh, we'll uh, – We'll keep following to see what happens with Gary Johnson and Jill Stein. I have a clip in the uh, supporter sink that where Jill Stein's like, I don't, I don't like kids watching screams, and I'm worried about Wi-Fi making kids sick. Yeah. So I have that clip in the show notes if you guys are in the supporter sink if you're curious. But let's stay with the high note uh, theme, and this is a problem that uh, uh, we're gonna we're gonna have to just challenge. We're gonna something something has to be changed, and that is that the uh, new recreational cannabis shops in Washington and I think Colorado, I'm not Colorado, sure, yeah. uh, are cash only operations, which leads to some problems. Overnight, two crooks were caught on camera breaking into a Seattle marijuana shop, pointing guns at employees and tying them up. But they had no idea Seattle police were waiting for them before they were even finished. Cairo 7 anchor John Nicely is live in the Greenwood neighborhood with how they were caught so quickly and why the owner actually fears, John, they'll be targeted again. Yeah, he does, Michelle. This is the second time in the last two weeks that Have a Heart Recreational Marijuana Shop here in Greenwood has been hit. The suspects in this case came out of this door into this alley. Well, they stroll around the corner, and when they get to this point, they had guns pointed at them. In the surveillance video, you see an employee at the door, and next thing, two guys with guns force the security guard back into the marijuana store and on the ground. Little did they know, the store manager was watching from home, as he always does at closing time. Immediately when I realized what was happening, I called 911 and was able to um, give them kind of a play-by-play. -play. That included the suspects forcing the employees onto the ground and zip-tying their arms behind their backs. Could you imagine watching that? Then the suspects go through the store, stealing marijuana products and cash. In the meantime, police were on the way. 
So you see the suspects walk out the door casually with no idea what was waiting for them around the corner. Detective was saying he not many times that they've actually watched robbers come out of an armed robbery. The 36 and 47-year-old suspects dropped their bags and were arrested. While this ended with the robbers busted, the same store was broken into in the last two weeks. And owner Ryan Kunkel is calling on the government to act to give them more protection. So let's talk about the, the, the core problem here. What's really going on? It's just very powerful indica. Want pot? Clear choice. The one thing you can't choose at this Tacoma pot shop, how to pay. It's cash only, which is the case at most recreational pot shops. Yeah, it is. And uh, I, was, I, was, it, was it you I was talking about? I, I found out that some pot shops were using like some Bitcoin-based payment solution. So, yeah, and there's... And they, uh, they, you know, that was, that was working, but they shut it down. Right. Because they, they were making money. Well, there, there are some shops that I know of that use they, they they will take cards mm-hmm. um and they they get around it by using a, a state i think like a state some sort of state not a credit union but some sort of state uh, lock fund thing or something right and aren't they actually processing it as an atm payment? right and and the problem or, with that is uh, their deposits are not fdi fdic insured or ncua insured so mm-hmm. they're not getting full protections and obviously since it's the, federally illegal yeah. they can't do it. The vast majority of them uh, are cash-only operations. Yeah. And then the issue they have is the banks, if they know where the money's come from, don't they won't take it. So they end up with a ton of cash sitting around, right. which is begging because you have extremely in-demand product that is, that is very highly regulated, and you have a bunch of cash sitting around. It is begging for, for, uh, yeah. for this problem. It's like they're trying to stoke the issue. Well, the, the solution to this issue is really simple. It's, it's the declassification on a federal level. That allows this to happen, and then you know allows the because the banks, to be fair, they're afraid they they don't yeah, want. I, I mean, hear that. Yeah, this clip gets on that, and then I then yeah. I have thoughts about that. Making them potentially easy targets for robbers, like those who tried to hit Seattle's Have a Heart store Sunday night. Having this large amount of cash coming through our business is unsafe for our customers. It's unsafe for our employees. It just puts everybody in a bad place. It's going to be $80. An average day at Clear Choice brings in more than a thousand cash carrying customers. They don't take checks here and can't swipe any credit or debit cards because no bank will back them. Banks and credit unions are in the business of risk management. They tend to be risk averse. Congressman Denny Heck has... Here's why I find that to be total bullshit. Look at the frickin' derivatives market. Oh, yeah. Sorry, look what happened. Yeah. Look what happened in 2008. I mean, yeah, I, I know we all go to the, the banks like to be safe line, and that's true. They like to be safe when they feel like being safe. When it comes to screwing you out of your money, they like to be safe. But when it comes to messing with the derivatives or playing in the insurance markets or stoking the home the home bubble, yeah, they're not so, they're not so safe. Well, the only problem with this particular scenario is right now it's still illegal under federal law. Yeah. And since banks are intrastate and they work mm-hmm. with federal funds, they right. can't. They just can't do Cards, it. That's, because that's no issue. bank will back that. Banks and credit unions are in the business of risk management. They tend to be risk averse. Congressman Denny Heck has repeatedly tried to pass a federal law to protect banks who support legal state-licensed pot shops. Also, uh, just look at SBC uh, and others. There are a lot of banks making money on the drug trade. A lot oh, of yeah. But he says congressional leaders have been reluctant either because they don't like legalization or think the federal government's position on pot could change after the election. Oh, that's my speculation. As long as pot sales are legal, he's going to try to reduce the cash on site, something he says will make them safer places. Travis Mason was a 24-year-old former Marine in Colorado who on June 22nd 
was shot to death as he was acting as a security agent at a retail establishment without a firearm. I think it would also increase our sales. Clear Choice knows not everyone supports what they're doing. But as long as they're obeying the law and generating tax dollars, they say the government should do everything it can to make the business safer. I think it is realistic. I'm not sure how soon it is realistic, but I think it is in our future. It has to be. There we go. All right, honey. Drew Mickelson, totally. King 5 News. Yeah, I, I also suspect after the election, the federal classification may, may change. Or maybe it'll uh, drop right before Election Day. <laughs> so that way everybody can calm down and not freak out either That's way. That's right. <laughs> Head you to the store. <laughs> do you, I, have a, uh, I, have a, uh, I have a precious moment of rare honesty from the United States government. Are you ready for it? Oh, we're gonna, it yes. We're going to end our show. You saw this? this no, 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 moment? no, but you were telling me. Right? Yeah, this will be – we'll wrap up with this precious moment of honesty from uh, the world's empire. Uh, what was that? There will be a briefing. <laughs> no briefing. Anyway, welcome to the State Department. I think we have some interns in the back. So this is a special day at the State Department. Uh, special interns there learning uh, about how the State Department works and about how the, this entire process works. And so he's welcoming the interns and everybody's having fun. Being kind. It's a special day. We have some interns in the back. Welcome. Uh, good to see you in this uh, exercise and transparency in democracy. <laughs> and he finds that hilarious. Is that what it is? <laughs> he finds that so funny. And was that the AP reporter yes, saying that, that was Matt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I love him. him losing his crap over that. Like, he just can't even keep a straight face. Exercise and transparency in democracy. <laughs> Is that what it is? <laughs> Sorry, I thought it was, I didn't mean to break I thought it was an exercise, of, an exercise of, in spin and obfuscation. Yeah, yeah, buddy. <laughs> All right. Can you tell us my last briefing before vacation? Uh, <laughs> oh. Oh, oh, my man. gosh, Chase. There you go. He needs to run for president right there. That man. was a moment of truth and honesty. Oh. No, no. Why can't we just all be truthful and honest out there, man? I'll be truthful for you right now. If all you're right. feeling a little sad, the Unfiltered Show is coming to an end. Fear not, my friend. We have a huge overtime just huge, moments away. Huge, huge. But if uh, you're tuning out at this here moment, if you've gotten the uh, the bulk of the important news of the week, you're like, guys, that's enough for me. I'm out. I'm good. We want to take this moment and thank you for coming to episode 199 right. of the Unfiltered Show. You know, you yeah. could join us live. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar for lifetimes. Right there? JBLive.tv is where you watch it. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contacts where you go to send us email. And unfilter.reddit.com is where you go to submit content to this here show, news stories you think we should know about, feedback, all of that. Now, Mr. Nunes. Yes, Chris. I don't suppose you've tried out that Twitter thing. I do the Twitter thing. I give uh, a lot of people a lot of characters because my Twitter handle is only five characters long. It's at N-U-N-E-S. Nunes, mm. my last name. Very strategic. Now, you're on the Twitter. I, I saw you tweet out a picture of a weed whacker for some oh reason. Gosh. I don't know why. Every week we go to start the Unfiltered Show and they, they start weed whacking out there. We figured out they do like a multi-phase weed whack, but it all just happens to be directly behind the studio. Well, they start on one Wickety side of the, Anyways... Anyways, you don't care. I'm not here to tell you about that. Too much weed. At Chris Elias. Yeah, there's a lot of weed whacking out there in Washington. Let me there's tell so you. There's so much weed out there. <laughs> there's a lot. And, so, and that guy just spends days out there whacking that weed, Chase. <laughs> whacking that weed. So, friends, I remind you of the Unfiltered 90-Day Challenge. Be kind to each other for these last 90 days of what has got to be one of the most absolutely outrageous election processes in our lifetimes. That's Lifetime, your, yeah, totally. You've got 90 more days, one way or the other, 90 days and bust. You just got to make it. 
In fact, it's already 89 days. I know. Patrons, don't forget, episode 200 next week. Please send in your comments and yep. feedback yep. limit to a paragraph, please. Yep. Oh, it's going to be a great week next week. All right, let's get to the overtime. Thanks for tuning in this week's episode. And if you're not sticking around, we'll see you right back here next week. Do not adjust your podcast player. It's the Unfiltered Overtime for episode 199 brought to you and bought by our patrons at patreon.com slash unfilter. This segment is dedicated to you guys. And I want to say a special thank you to our four new patrons since last week. I'd love to see that higher number next week. Uh, number higher next week. If you would like to support us, patreon.com slash unfilter, but I am very thankful for the four that we got to keep us going. Welcome to the Unfilter Patreon supporters crew, Andrew, Nigel, Scott, and I'm going to guess at George. George. Something like that. Um, because there's the characters that got all messed up when I copy and pasted from one machine to the other, but I think that's pretty damn close. Thank you, you guys. This segment is dedicated to you and all of our supporters. There's a lot more we have to get into. Stuff we talked about, expand upon it. That's what's great about the overtime segment. This is a moment for us to cut loose, play the extended clips, the stuff that would have, quote-unquote, slowed down the pace of the show that the producer in me won't allow. I got standards. But now that we're in the overtime, it's everybody's sloppy seconds. Who cares? All rules are off. And we're going to play the extended clips. We're going to go further in depth in the stuff we talked about. And we're also going to cover stuff that didn't quite fit at the top of the show. Let's start with the Rio Olympics. You may have noticed we didn't cover the Rio Olympics. So uh, let's make good on that right here. Right now. And probably the biggest story, at least as far as RT is concerned, and I don't know, I, I guess objectively I would say this seems like a pretty big story. The Russian uh, Paralympic team? Is that what? I think that's what they were. Well doesn't really matter because they're not going to be competing. Well, the International Paralympic Committee suspended the Russian squad after 35 team members were mentioned in a World Anti-Doping Association report. Further IPC research tested 45 samples. Of those, only 27 across just eight sports were Paralympians. And of those eight sports, only five were summer events, leaving just 11 positive tests. Yet now all 267 Russian athletes are excluded from the Games. The Paralympic Summer Games start on September 7th. RT's Ilya Petrenko reports now from the host city, Rio. Outrage! Fans have been busy cheering on their teams at Rio's arenas or in pubs like this. And the International Paralympic Committee's decision to ban every single Russian Paralympian from September's Games has mainly gone unnoticed. Well, that doesn't mean we cannot ask the fans about it. Or Jeez. do some IPC verdict math with those who've heard about it. Do you know the biggest news for Team Russia today? Big news. No. Today? No. Today? Today I didn't hear of uh, actually. No. Today's okay. Oh, so the I'm, Paralympics. Oh yeah, there you go. Yes. Yeah. Uh, right. Paralympics. Paralympics. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> you gotta always love those man. I don't know what it is. 
I, I, I even want to do them. For Linux stuff, for like Linux Action Show, I think it'd be fun. Go somewhere like during a big uh, event or something and talk to them about Linux. You know, I guess maybe there's there's always the danger of conducting your own research, though. Selecting your own subjects. Selectively editing them, too. Of course, that doesn't stop the media from doing their own research on the hot topic of cupping. <laughs> Let me tell you something, friends. Cupping is nothing new, but that didn't stop every single news outlet from running multiple stories. I, 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 I honestly, I could have given you... And by giving you, I mean forced you to watch a montage of it all. But instead, I just picked one of my favorites. Do you feel like you've suddenly started to see spots? No wonder. After Olympic athletes showed up sporting them, we in the media went cupping crazy. This is not suitable for children. <laughs> that, that's good. <laughs> and this is why. So what we have here, if for those of you listening, is um, a Fox 5 affiliate at uh, KVVU, uh, sitting, or I'm sorry, laying topless on a table while he's getting uh, cupped. He's getting cupped. And so he has uh, big pepperoni slices all over his body. Now our cupping runneth over with demonstrations. Now, Mike, hold on. Now you're doing two? Yeah. Ah! Cupping using suction cup-like action to increase blood flow. It does not hurt. It pinches a little bit. Maybe an ancient art, but back in 1694, when this medical illustration was done, they didn't have TV live shots. At least KVVU reporter Mike Doria didn't cup his bottom on TV. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. Why wouldn't why somebody want to see my half-naked body filled with what looks like pepperoni Pepe- yeah. slices? Network talent is exposing calves. Offering forearms, though NBC's Matt Lauer tried to prevent the circular mark that's left behind by removing his cup. Take it off. Take it off. <laughs> After Jeez. less than 30 seconds. Jeez. Looks like I got attacked by some horny octopus. Good <laughs> one, dotted man. Oh, Celebs like Gwyneth Paltrow and Lena Dunham were into cupping long before the latest Olympic craze. It looks like it hurts. It hurts. Does it Does hurt? hurt? Yeah. It's, it's, well, if you like hickeys, it's a little bit like that <laughs> sensation. And that set off Charlie Rose pinching his co-host like a schoolboy. Going back to high school good. now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> While we fixated on Michael Phelps' dots, his fixed stare, seemingly aimed at a rival, went viral, like father, like son. Cartoonist Ed Hall applied the cupping frenzy to the presidential race. Mm. We're using cupping to increase blood flow to his brain. Mm. <laughs> oh, but it ain't working. Even while being <laughs> cupped, you can have a brain freeze. Posture problems. He even said cocktail waitresses. Great for them. They're on their back all day or on their what? feet all day. <laughs> Oh, all right. Okay. So there I have exposed you to 1% of how much cupping videos I have had to watch. You know, here's, you want to know, are you wondering, is cupping legitimate? Is it a real thing or is it, uh, is it totally fake? If you want to know if cupping works, ask yourself, if you increase circulation to an area, is that, can, can you increase circulation to an area? Is that potentially a good thing or a bad thing? That's really, I think, the question of cupping. That's really what you're doing, right? And so it's not like it's some big mysterious uh, Chinese uh, uh, hidden over the thousands of years medicine. It, it's just really about moving circulation to an area. Uh, and, and I guess I also kind of find the question of does it work? Is it real? Is it, is it a scam? Kind of funny. 
Because it seems like if anybody would know the answer and if, if anybody is making decisions based directly on the results they see in the most high performance requirement situations, it would be Olympic athletes. And so it seemed like if Olympic athletes are using it, there's a high likelihood that it is effective because they have very limited time and they have to show results for everything they do like that. And they're, uh, so uh, I don't know. Anyways, I just think it's so funny how, how they just get fixated on stuff. I guess there would be... Uh, it's better to talk about cupping than uh, Hillary's problems. Let's go back to Hillary. Let's keep going here. Now, uh, I thought this was particularly interesting. We talked about DEF CON on the Linux Action Show recently. And, uh, of course, we talked about Black Hat and DEF CON on TechSnap. I didn't realize there was a Black Hat-Clinton connection. Did you? The Black Hat Conference is in full swing in Las Vegas, where hackers and cybersecurity experts from around the world are beginning to expose security flaws and strengthen the cyber world. RT Simone Del Rosario is live on the ground at Black Hat. Simone, what can you tell us about the conference this year? Anya, this year we are expecting another record-breaking attendance. Last year, the Black Hat Conference broke records with more than 11,000 people attending. This year, organizers tell me they expect it to break records again. And that really tells you how much more important cybersecurity is becoming in Money. our society year after year when they continue breaking records, especially as companies decide that they need to take a bigger stance on cybersecurity to protect everyone. But there is one area that is still very much in the dark. That's the election process. What? At one of the country's largest hacking and cybersecurity gatherings, the prevailing theme of this year's Black Hat Conference is protecting internet platforms from malicious attacks. But there is one facet of the United States that is left more vulnerable than most. What? And it's the key to our democracy. What? Recent high-profile hacks have shed light on how easy it is to compromise our election process. The Democratic National Committee dealt a devastating blow when private and unflattering emails surfaced. Hillary Clinton's campaign quickly pointed fingers at Russia for the hack. But professional hacker Grifter says determining the source is one of the hardest things to do. Sometimes all it takes is somebody just shouting out, it was so-and-so, you know, and that will be what people run with. It may not be that. Um, it's probably one of the hardest things to do when it comes to an attack is saying, like, where did it come from? Who was it? And being 100% certain that that was it. I mean, normally you're waiting, you're looking for a smoking gun, and there's not one to be found. So It would take a while to find it, probably. Absolutely, if ever. Grifter says most hackers are inherently interested in politics, and U.S. elections provide a promising platform. As more voting systems turn electronic, the ability to sway results only increases, especially when you consider 20% of Americans this year will vote on electronic systems that are not backed up with paper records. Until there is something that's a smoking gun that says, like, look, this was hacked and it affected these districts or this entire state, um, looked like it was going this way and it actually wasn't real, will we actually do something about it? And even without hacking voting machines directly, other breaches can still influence opinion, like the DNC hack, or diminish faith in the system, like a recent hack on Illinois' voter registration database. According to Black Hat General Manager Steve Wiley, local, state, and even the federal government have a long way to go to increase security. Hopefully, um, the, you know, the incoming 
um, the incoming president, that'll be a priority, that they'll be focusing on cybersecurity as an issue because it has become more of a societal issue as well. So there needs to be a lot of you know, public-private cooperation in that area. Ironically, though, cybersecurity issues have damaged the Clinton campaign this year from her email controversy to a recent hack into the campaign itself. The founder of Black Hat is embracing the candidate, hosting a Clinton fundraiser tonight here at Black Hat. The organizers quick to point out it is not affiliated with the conference. Wiley takes it as a sign cybersecurity will be a part of her platform. You know, certainly holding a, a fundraiser um, at a, a hacker conference here in Las Vegas is pretty telling, I, I would guess, in that way. This focus on cybersecurity is a first for a presidential campaign fundraiser. But hackers here know if the government fails to make it more of a priority, hacking emails is only the beginning. Look, despite the fact that Look. there is going to be a Clinton campaign fundraiser here tonight, Hillary Clinton herself will not be here. And if you talk to the majority of people inside, they actually try to stay out of the political process in itself. One thing that they can all agree on, though, is that they do not believe that the government has really done enough and made enough strides when it comes to cybersecurity to be protecting every facet of government from the <laughs> lowest level to the highest level. It is not feasible, my friend. It is not feasible. It could never... They could never. They just don't. They don't. They could you imagine that? Uh, let's let's continue on. Uh, so that was our rough association with uh, Hillary, and now we get a little closer. Some recent CNN coverage about the emails. In an interview with KUSA Thursday, she said, "Quote: As the FBI said, everything that I have said publicly has been consistent and truthful with what I've told them." Mm-hmm. Not exactly. Uh, Friday, she was asked if she was mischaracterizing what the FBI director said. I have said um, during the interview and in many other occasions over the past months uh, that what I told the FBI, which he said was truthful, is consistent with what I have said publicly. So I may have short-circuited it, and for that I oh. uh, you know, will try to clarify because I think you know, Chris Wallace and I were probably talking past each other be- because, of course— he could only talk to what I had told the FBI, and I appreciated that. Help me? <laughs> this is... Uh, help me? <laughs> what, what, uh, some, it's just baffling to me that she what? is still struggling her way through this. I mean, there are so many ways she could deal with this that are better than the way she has dealt with this. And by has dealt with this, I How about, mean... I'm sorry. When I said I yeah. thought nothing was classified, right. that's what right. I believed at the time. The FBI director said otherwise... It was even a bigger mistake than I thought. I'm sorry. It won't happen again. How about that? I, that would, and, and, <laughs> but here's the thing is that I'm not sure that I still think that in her heart she believes that everything she <laughs> did was was blessed and OK and in not really a very big deal. I think it was blessed in her heart. You guys, that's uh, that's good for right there. I, need, I don't need you to hear much more than that. Uh, let's keep going. Oh, this is a good one. There are nearly 300 pages of emails. Some of them show just how easy it was for Clinton donors to get Clinton favors. Case in point, Gilbert Shiguri. He's a Nigerian-Lebanese billionaire seen here with Bill Clinton at the opening ceremonies for the Shiguri Brothers' multi-billion dollar waterfront development in Nigeria. The project was done under the umbrella of a Clinton Global Initiative to reclaim Nigeria's coastline. The Shiguris and Bill Clinton go way back. Gilbert Shiguri is listed as donating between $1 and $5 million to the Clinton Family Foundation. And in this new batch of emails, it seems Gilbert Shiguri could use his connections to open doors. 
In 2009, it appears Shiguri wanted to connect with a top U.S. official in Lebanon. Doug Band, who was heading the Clinton Foundation at the time, stepped in to help. He emailed Hillary Clinton's top aides at the U.S. State Department, Cheryl Mills and Huma Abedin, asking that Gilbert Shiguri be placed in touch with the State Department's substance person on Lebanon. Ban, who once interned for Mills, reminds both Hillary Clinton aides that Shiguri is a key guy there and to us. A key guy. And he's asking that Abedin call the former U.S. ambassador to Lebanon so the Clinton donor and the former ambassador can connect. But there's no mention of why. There are Clinton Foundation requests for a favor in finding someone a job, paying attention to someone whose ambassadorship was turned down, and intermingling of emails between state, the Clinton Foundation, and others, giving the overall effect that it's really hard to tell where any lines are drawn. Scott Amy with the Project on Government Oversight says even if no legal lines were crossed, government employees have an obligation to avoid even the appearance of a conflict of interest. So you do wonder if there was some kind of impartiality or preferential treatment given to these companies and these lobbyists that didn't go to everyone. And that's not the way our, our government is supposed to work. <laughs> how does he, how does he, oh, he's so adorable. Oh, you kind of wonder, don't you guys? Do you wonder? Do you wonder? I want to go more into that short-circuited comment because I, I, I don't think this clip has the clip in it that I'm hoping for, but let's double check. And meanwhile, on the Democratic side, Hillary Clinton trying to clear up some confusion about her recent statements on the FBI's investigation into her private email server. And Mrs. Yeah, Clinton answering questions a... after a... Let's go ahead and skip this. I'm looking for the one where, and you know about it, where she uh, she accidentally calls uh, Donald Trump her husband, right? You know which one I'm speaking about? Where she accidentally says, uh, my husband, I mean my opponent... If anybody wanted to, if anybody in the chat room has a link to that, that would be really handy. That fan's still a little too loud. I might have to, uh, I might have to go take care of that. Before I go tackle the fan, let's tackle kind of an interesting, odd moment. Uh, and it's interesting to just watch Hillary's reaction. So this is extra juicy if you're watching this episode, but if you're listening, take a listen to this. This is, uh, Hillary Clinton getting flustered during a speech when a protester almost rushes the stage. And there's a, several things I want to note about this clip. And we're going to just go through this a little bit. It is um, upside down. <laughs> I love you, VLC. I don't even... Uh, you know what, guys? I just can't. <laughs> the clip is literally playing upside down. You know, um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, switch that over to Gnome MPV. MPV for the win. Uh, okay. So uh, here, I'm going to turn down the audio on that, too, because uh, she's uh, <clears throat> a little high there. Okay, so she's uh, she's going on right now. She's got the new hairdo, looking good. I uh, gotta say, I think that hair, I think that hairdo looks phenomenal on her. And uh, watch her face as you realize that she sees someone approaching the stage. And Catherine Cortez Masto to the United States Senate. Right there. Now this guy that just runs up on stage, I, I've looked him up, and I guess he's Secret Service now. But if you go back in time and you can find pictures of Hillary from I, I think maybe even before she was uh, before she was Secretary of State. I don't I remember it goes way back and you you'll find this guy 
next to her in civilian clothing. So this guy, from my from my really kind of just sort of surface level research on this, but you know, I spent about fifteen minutes looking into it, so take it for what it is. He apparently works he's like Hillary's personal guy, like security guy. And watch how he embraces her. Then listen how he instructs her to keep talking. This man, this bodyguard man, will tell Hillary Clinton to keep talking. He tells her what to do, which is just fascinating to watch. And if you go back and you look at images, you can see him in a totally civilian capacity. And then at some point, she pulls a string and he just joins He joins up with the Secret Service. And this man will then tell all of the other Secret Service agents what to do on stage when they also come up. So he, her personal, her personal bay, is up on stage immediately. The rest of the Secret Service guys are still coming. And once they get up there, he not only starts telling her what to do, but he tells them what to do. Are you okay? Keep talking, you can handle it. Keep talking. This isn't this. This is fascinating. Like she really relies on this guy. You handle it. We're not going anywhere. Keep talking. You can handle it. We're not going anywhere. You handle it. We're not going anywhere. Okay, here we are. <laughs> and she doesn't really quite know what to do. She's a little flustered. <laughs> that awkward cackle that she has sometimes. <laughs> Keep talking, man. Keep talking. And if you watch him, he's bossing everybody around on stage. He's going from guy to guy and telling them what to do. Uh, he's, I mean, he's obviously in charge, even though, uh, from what I can tell, he's only been in the Secret Service for a couple of years. <laughs> keep talking, man. Keep talking. Okay. We'll keep talking. And we'll, and apparently these people are here to protest Trump because. Trump and his kids have killed a lot of animals. So, wow. thank you for Whoa, making that. Whoa, look at her. Whoa. Whoa. She turned that ass around. Look at that face too. She's proud of that. Look at that face. Oh. Isn't that an interesting clip though? Isn't that an interesting clip? Now I have another one for you. Another protester clip. Now here's what's super fascinating about this next one. And I wish I could recreate the experience for you, but I happened to watch Hillary's speech live. Uh, today. I think this clip is from today. And I didn't clip it because it's just the same stuff over and over again right now while she's out on the on the road stumping. And so I didn't. I just watched it. Uh, and this is pretty common. And I, I, I noticed there was a moment where she she stumbles on her words. And then. She picks up a new steam. And I, I felt like it was improv, and I couldn't put my finger on at the time why that moment seemed odd to me. Then about an hour later, I found that same moment from a different angle. And it's fascinating to find out what was actually going on. And I want to encourage you to watch the people up on stage. They have no idea what's happening sitting behind Hillary. And watch... Just just take it all in. And for those of you listening, I'll describe what's happening. It's, it's, it was fascinating now to see this from another angle because I saw it straight on and I never knew any of this was happening. Helped by the kind of work we're going to do. So she, you can hear by the, as she's pausing, she begins walking off to the far right front of the stage. Off in the back bottom corner, there are Secret Service agents 
tackling a woman. She, I, would, I would peg her in her early 20s. And you watch the gentleman on stage. To make sure that clean, renewable energy is available around the country and people... She, this time, she's much better. She's, she's stumbling a little bit, but you watching it at home, and it was live. And that one was fascinating. And I think that's why she did so good, because the one before where she paused and stopped, that wasn't a live broadcast. But this one was being broadcasted live on CNN. Like They switched over just a moment or two before this happened. Who understand that? No. We can be the clean energy superpower of the 21st century. So the guys looking around behind are like, oh, my God, what's going on? Secret Service and cops are dragging the woman out now. And some people get a little carried away. Have you noticed that? And it says animal preservation now or something on there. Now, that part right there where she says some people get a little carried away. Have you noticed that? I couldn't figure out what had just happened because it didn't feel like a Trump, Trump reference because she had just done that bit a little bit ago. And so I was like, what is she... What is happening? Some people get a little carried away. Watch her again as she spins this, almost to a to a seriously, unbelievably professional degree. Away, have you noticed that? But I get carried away thinking about all the jobs we're going to create. Oh my goodness! She does it again, guys. Oh, she does it again. Unbelievable. The dog is unstoppable. So she's she's getting pretty good when people come up on uh, stage. Uh, now I got one more Hillary one, and this one had to go in overtime because it's a little low. It's a little low rent, uh, but I want to play it for you because I, I think it's probably on some of your minds. During the 2008 campaign, the mainstream media wouldn't let up. Remember that over John McCain's age and his health. Take a listen. Is McCain? simply too old to get elected. If it's John McCain's health we're talking about, and he's running for the highest office in the land, his health, with limits, becomes the public business. How concerned are doctors that this skin cancer may in fact return? All right, but it seems there's a double standard for the Democrats. This photo causing some controversy this week of Hillary Clinton being helped up those stairs. Look at that at a campaign stop in South Carolina in February. Should we know more about her health history? Here to discuss this is Dr. Mark Siegel of the Fox Medical A-Team and neurologist Dr. Fiona Gupta. Thank you both for being with Great us. To see you. Great to see you, too. So how important is, is it for us to see the presidential candidates' health records. Well, I think it's very important. And Ainsley, in 2008, we put the bar at a different level because of John McCain. I looked at his records and I said, this is ridiculous. But after I looked at them, I said, okay, let's be consistent now. Let's do this for all candidates, especially if they're elderly. The same point that was just made in the setup. Now, what do you think, Charum? Obviously, this wasn't uh, um, uh, my first choice. of. Uh, of I just I don't like the the conversation because I... I find it to be very speculative. I've also seen the same pictures, and um, I. But it's so easy to uh, to spin something to make it look one way when you just take a moment out of context. I've also heard, you know, we've we've played clips of her coughing fits. She and she's been having them for a couple of years. But she's almost. I mean, what is she? Sixty eight, sixty nine. I mean, that's I, and she uses her voice a lot. I mean, I don't think it's unreasonable that she's going to cough. So uh, is this off limits or is this a reasonable question to ask? So chat room, I ask you, 
I'll play a little more of the clip, and then we'll see what you think. Reasonable or off limits? Well, guess what? Donald Trump is 70, and Hillary Clinton is almost 69. I want to see both their full records. Let's be fair. And Hillary, in 2012, you know, had a huge concussion. She sustained. She was found to have a blood clot on the outside of her brain. I've been asking since 2012 to see her neurological records. You know, uh, her internist well, revealed asking. a statement that after her concussion, she recovered. She had an MRI. Everything was fine. Her follow-up tests were okay. But no neurologist has ever come forward, and we've never seen her records. I want to see her full records. That's why we brought you on, Dr. Gupta, so you can tell us from a neurological perspective how the concussions and things like that affected her. But first, let's show the audience what we know uh, as far as her medical records are concerned, the timeline. And to be fair, we don't have Donald, Re- Donald Trump's because he hasn't held a public office. But let's start with Hillary in 1998. She reportedly had a blood clot in her leg in 2005, stomach virus and faints before a speech. 2009, fractures her elbow in a fall while she's walking to the White House. 2011, falls boarding an airplane in Yemen. 2012, she faints, hits her head, suffers a concussion, has to wear glasses for double vision. 2012, diagnosed with a blood clot following her fall. And then in 2016, photographed, as you saw, being helped up those stairs in South Carolina. So from a neurological perspective, a lot of this has to do with her brain, with her mind, the concussions. Should What should we be concerned about. Right, exactly. Well, neurologically speaking, <laughs> again, question. as Dr. Siegel mentioned, for both candidates, medical history, neurological history has to be transparent. This is a long and rigorous campaign. Secretary Clinton has had history of unexplained falls, a fall leading to post-concussive syndrome, which was documented, and then a cerebral venous thrombosis uh, that was discovered post-fall. So I think follow-up is important, but again, not to just speculate, that would be, you know, kind of irresponsible or un- unethical, but to really get a good history How and follow-up exam. The concussions, the faintings, that just is not normal for most people. I mean, falls can be because of a myriad of issues. I mean, in her case, there was reports of dehydration, uh, gastrointestinal illnesses, and, you know, lots of travel. So, you know, the stress of that could cause some of this, Mm -hmm. too. Dr. Siegel? She's also on blood thinners. So I would put those two together and say whatever the causes of the falls... We have to be extra careful for anyone that's on lifetime blood thinners. She's on them because she's had repetitive clots, one in her leg, then one on the outside of the brain. So she's obviously being watched for that, even though she's never been found to have a a coagulation or clotting disorder. But her father died of a stroke at a young age. Mm -hmm. You know, could there be a family history of that? This would make you want to watch her more carefully and, again, see the full records. I want to see what a neurologist like Dr. Gupta actually said in writing about her. I'm sure she's fit, but this is what the public has a right to know. John McCain released pages and pages. Both of them, their doctors have released one page each, and her doctor in 2015 said she had been treated for concussion blood clots and underactive thyroid gland. Donald Trump's doctor released a letter saying his health was extraordinary. (laughs) That's all we know. All right, thank you so much, Dr. Dr. Siegel. Great to see you. It looks like a lot of you think it's on the table. Uh, I think probably, like Arch said in the chat room, it doesn't really matter. (laughs) They would... She has, uh, some people speculate that gentleman I was talking about isn't just her bodyguard, but also her personal doctor. Um, and every president has one. So I, they have full-time attention, basically. Now, I know there's a conspiracy theory that you have probably all seen floated. The Internet's favorite bacon. Donald Trump is a Clinton campaign plant. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the the Joe the morning Joe they kind of talked about this a little bit so that's kind of how I'm justifying playing this clip for you but really what I think is kind of funny is uh, 
the production, I guess you could call it, of the beginning of this clip. I, I'm, I just, it's so funny. Like, there is, there's no show like the Morning Joe show because there's no show that would do what's, what's about to happen, what I'm about to play for you. And, and it's just, it's commonplace on their show. So, in case it's a little confusing what's happening at the beginning of this clip, they, the cameras come on and the hosts don't know they're live. And they're just sitting there, kind of like looking at the production guy and the, and the floor director going like, are you going to tell me when we're live? Because we're not live yet. Are you going to, are you going to, so it's just, it's, it's the clip, I'll just play a little bit of it as long as we can stand it, because the theme of the clip is supposed to be, what if, uh, what if Donald Trump is the biggest gift to the Clinton campaign ever? I'll get, we'll play a little of that, but also just, I enjoyed the real, I, I enjoyed the beginning of this clip a lot too. I, I have to admit it. During the 2008 campaign, the mainstream... Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. That was last clip. Sorry, all that build up and I fire off the... Okay, imagine everything I just said, only just now, with a really smooth transition. Here we go. We one are? Of, one of the great songs Because of all he's time. standing over there, Dan. So exactly what do you mean? Right? Former resident of Vermont. Uh, where's he going to sit? That? He used to live in Vermont. Joining us for the must read opinion pages. New- <laughs> you see how awkward that is? Like, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I don't know what Joe's doing there. Let's watch this one more time. And I'll let it go. We one are? Of, one of the great songs. Because of all he's time. standing over there, Dan. Joe so Walsh. exactly what do you mean? Right? Former resident of Vermont. Uh, where's he going to sit? That? He used to live in Vermont. Joining us for the must read opinion page is New York Times columnist Frank Bruni. He's, he's, he's just standing over he's here. He's standing Dan. over there. Yeah. What are you thinking? So you got Mika arguing with the floor director, and you got Joe Scarborough humming so you can cover his morning farts uh, from the coffee he's sitting there drinking. And this is like the awkwardest start to a segment ever. Dan, Dan. Guys. I don't, Hi, Frank. I don't understand. <laughs> Our producer <laughs> is a little tired. All right, so, Get out so of your mic. And let's I want to keep singing. I, I want to keep no. talking about uh, Life's Been Good. Good, Joe Walsh. It's a great, it's a great song. Yeah. Halpern, are you getting up? All right. Halpern's Have Frank come Tag out. There we go. My Maserati does 185. Yeah, I'm going to read it. Thank you. I lost my Hi, license. Frank. Now I don't. Hey, how are you? Nice Glenn to see you. Fry. What is this nice? Oh, I know. Your mic. You can't yeah. miss Glenn Fry, right? Yeah. You had dinner with Glenn Fry. They're yeah. still right. setting up. Yeah. They still are. They're just vamping. They're just vamping while this guy gets set up. He's a nice Thank guy. He's just, know what's he was just a nice dude from Pennsylvania. Detroit. Wonderful doer. Slick there just said, does anybody know what's happening? Fam- his family was well, fa- Detroit, but his, he had a lot of family in Pennsylvania. Okay. Such a good all-American guy. Can I read Frank's piece, please? Thanks, he's here. Where's Don Henley, man? Tough guy. Frank Brony writes in the New York Times, Hillary's summer of love. It's looking more and more like Donald Trump is the best thing that ever happened to Hillary Clinton. He's definitely the strangest. With his fits of peak, spasms of ignorance. That's a good word, peak. Flashes of demagogy. Demagoguery, yeah. turned the GOP's favorite boogie woman into its summer crush. Dozens of prominent Republicans have come out and said that they'll vote for her or consider it. Clinton's summer of love isn't merely a stunning narrative twist. It's an opportunity in the nick of time. Despite our supposedly intractable partisanship, a swelling group of highly visible leaders is putting country before indiscriminate allegiance to their party. You're so right. So, uh... I think it's funny the chairman says they're drunk. No, they're not drunk, guys. They're on pills and probably Coke. Pills and Coke. So there you go. There you go. That's uh, that's their gift, they say. Not a bad, not a bad argument. 
Let's go on this topic. The media is really hot about this. Tonight, there are new headwinds facing Donald Trump. Yet another indicator his support is slipping. Trump trailing Hillary Clinton by 13 points in a new Monmouth University poll. Out yeah, but other polls show six. Today. And as- Not that that's good either, but I mean, just to make it clear, they're, they are cherry picking the worst poll possible. The Monmouth University poll out today. And as Trump tries to right the ship by focusing on the economy, Dozens of senior Republican national security officials are warning about the dangers they see in a potential Trump presidency. NBC's Katie Turr has it all covered for us. Today, 50 of the country's leading national security officials who worked in Republican administrations have had enough signing a letter refusing to vote for Trump. That list, including former CIA director Michael Hayden, former Homeland mm-hmm. Security Chiefs Michael Chertoff, yep. and Tom Ridge. They love it. The group warning the GOP nominee would be the most reckless president in American history. That caution coming after Trump addressed the Detroit Economic Club, using the city's struggles as a backdrop to refocus his message. The city of Detroit is the living, breathing example of my opponent's failed economic agenda. Coming off a bruising week in which the GOP threatened revolt, Trump is getting in line. We will work with House Republicans on this plan using the same brackets they have proposed. Trump vowing to reform tax policy, renegotiate trade deals, and put a moratorium on new regulations. There's nothing in this plan how we're going to fix our debt situation, nothing how we're going to get our entitlements under control, and really not enough about how we're actually going to grow the economy. Clinton rallying in Florida criticized it as more of the same GOP talking points. He wants to basically just repackage trickle-down economics. A bright spot for Trump this weekend getting support from George P. Bush, the son of a former rival, Jeb Bush. And though Trump is down in the polls tonight, the campaign says that with three months to go, they're confident their candidate will continue to defy political gravity. Katie Turr, NBC News. All right, so there is one rather mixed report from NBC. The media had so much fun with the uh, Second Amendment comment. They had to keep it going. Anything they I'm can find. I'm going to replay Donald Trump's comments. What? You're going to replay it again? Brooke, shocking. Shocking. You're going to replay it? Never. Ne- Unprecedented. Replay Donald Trump's comments, but I want you to look not at Donald Trump, but at the man in the red just to the right of your screen. Hillary wants to abolish, essentially abolish. Hey, this is my bit where we look at the people. Hey, this is my bit where you look at the people in the audience. The Second Amendment. By the way, and if she gets to pick. If she gets to pick her judges. Nothing you can do, folks. Although the Second Amendment people, maybe there is. I don't know. But. The world watched your jaw drop. Yeah, the guy went, oh. I want you to tell me what was, what were you thinking? Well, I was thinking exactly what I said to my neighbor, Connie, and that was, I can't believe he said it. <laughs> they're just going to milk it. And they're so good at it, too. Keep it on Trump. Keep it on Trump. Keep it on Trump. Got to keep it on Trump. Everybody, keep talking about Trump. The camp labeling, labeling Trump's remarks dangerous. We go right now to former Republican presidential candidate, Dr. Ben Carson. Dr. Carson, good to see you. You too, man. How do you see this? 
Well, I see it uh, as usual, the media trying to make a, a gigantic deal out of this because they have one goal, and that is to keep Donald Trump in the middle of the bullseye. And if they can continue to talk about him, they don't have to talk about Hillary. They don't have to talk about the fact that uh, the, the father of the terrorists who slayed 49 people was sitting in a prominent position right behind her as she was giving a speech and that a person like that would be attracted to her, a person who has expressed admiration for Al-Qaeda. So, I mean, to me, that's a much bigger story. <laughs> I think he makes a fair point, though. That is exactly the intention. Keep them right in the crosshairs. And the, cr the defections haven't really been that big of a deal. No major names, really. Nobody that wasn't really already sort of associated with Hillary to begin with. But that's also been a story that's gotten a lot of play. As Donald Trump was talking about the economy the other day in his long-awaited tax plan, my next guest observed something very different in the media. Howard Kurtz, Fox News media analyst and host of Media Buzz, with me now. And how are you, Howard? Good morning. Good morning to you, Bill. What did you notice? Well, there was some serious and substantive coverage of Trump's economic speech in Detroit, but by the next morning, it was getting crowded out, overshadowed, uh, drowned out uh, by, by another very legitimate storyline that just collided, and that was 50 former Republican national security officials signing a letter saying Donald Trump's not fit to be president. Senator Susan Collins coming out and saying she won't vote for yeah. Donald Trump. Yeah, and the media analyzing the media. As yep. the day yep. went on, that became the story, and the, the economic speech kind of got buried. The media. Does that mean they're more interested in personality and not policy? They. <laughs> they. <laughs> well, this is important stuff here. It's probably issue number one in the election. It's the most important issue, and yet journalists are not dying to delve into the intricate details of how many income tax rates hmm. they are and what deductions there are. If only, if only we could find some journalists somewhere that could do that. Well, better keep talking about it. Better, better keep talking about it. All right, moving on. We got to get into some more Russia stuff. Now, uh, I want to, I want to talk more about. Turkey and Russia, but this clip, there's two really strong different messages. One is that uh, the uh, freedom fighters, the anti-Assad troops, are making big gains. The other narrative is that Putin is near a victory. So here's that one. It's the year 2000 and Vladimir Putin... Oh, yes. You know what? That's going to get us pulled down. I will leave that in supporter sync for you to watch at home so that way we don't get pulled down. Let's jump over then to Turkey. Because uh, this is probably more newsworthy anyways. Matthew, um, how do we get here and how will this meeting in St. Petersburg cement this now rekindled relationship between Russia and Turkey? Well, there's already been some very positive uh, words spoken by both presidents, actually, before the, the, the formal sit-down meetings began. There was a photo opportunity. Um, both leaders came out and, and, and expressed satisfaction, essentially, uh, with the fact that they were meeting uh, so soon yes, uh, yes. after the coup, of course, which took place in uh, the attempted coup, took place in, in OMG, July OMG, OMG. Uh, the 15th. Um, this is the first visit of President Erdogan outside of the country since then. And so this isn't just about Turkey uh, relations uh, with Russia that were so badly damaged uh, with the shootdown of a Russian aeroplane, a Russian warplane over the Turkish-Syria border back in November last year. It's taken on something more symbolic as well, a more, a more symbolic um, interest as well, because there's all this speculation that because Turkey is so angry with the West for not backing it in its eyes enough uh, in the face of this uh, attempted coup 
then Turkey may turn strategically a bit more into the fold of the Russians. Certainly the Kremlin sensed an opportunity and Vladimir Putin was very quick to point out uh, that, uh, that he was among those leaders to offer President Erdogan his support against the uprising. Take a listen mm-hmm. to what he had to say. I know that I was one of the first people who called, called me on the phone and um, expressed my support. That's a message. That's a message to the U.S. That's specifically a message to Kerry. In overcoming the internal political um, political um, crisis and, and the, the coup. That Putin took advantage of the coup to offer assistance to Erdogan. While the U.S. sort of sat back and kind of like waited to see what happened. And it wasn't until Erdogan clearly was regaining control that we actually released a statement saying, well, we support the democratically elected president. And in connection with this, I would like um, to hope that under your leadership, the Turkish people will overcome this problem and establish um, order and, um, and, and, and law and um, everything, will, the normal life will be renewed. Today we'll have an opportunity to discuss in the narrow teams and and broader teams about our relationship, including renewal of our uh, trade and economic um, uh, cooperation and cooperation in uh, fighting terrorism. So so this is about, I think, from a Kremlin point of view, uh, Russia or Vladimir Putin showing that it can be a very good, strong ally, a good friend to Turkey. But as uh, Putin was was saying there, it's also about restoring those essential economic ties ties between the two countries that were so badly damaged uh, as uh, in the aftermath of that Turkish shootdown of of the Russian warplane. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. And uh, I think that sort of fits right along with what we were saying. Uh, why don't we... I have, I have an urge to play uh, this clip here. Michael Morrell, a former CIA director, said Russian soldiers should so be killed in Syria. We, this is their take on this story, and I think it's, I think it's worth, worth covering. To solve the crisis in the country. We need to make the, the Iranians pay a price in Syria. We need to make the Russians pay a price. The other okay, thing I we would need, do... We make them pay the price by killing... Killing Russians? Yes. Michael Morrell added that the killing of Russians should be done covertly, but in such a way that the Kremlin would get the message. He says he hasn't discussed the idea with Hillary Clinton, whom he's endorsed for president. Morrell is also a strong critic of Clinton's opponent, Donald Trump. The former CIA deputy director's endorsement of Clinton has not gone unnoticed. The Democratic candidate retweeted an interview by Morrell where he accused Trump of being an unwitting agent of Russia. The Republican frontrunner was quick to hit back with a tweet of his own, calling Morrell a totally Clinton flunky. We got reaction to Morrell's. Yeah, it's, of course, it's him. It's He's he's uh, applying for a job in the Clinton administration, and he's coming out hitting strong. He wants, uh, he wants a jab. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? Let's follow up on the $400 million uh, uh, terrorism money that was uh, flown over on pallets. Let's do a little follow-up on, on that story. Ow! The administration's $400 million payment to Iran at the same time our American hostages were released uh-huh. is still raising questions at this hour, especially because one of the hostages told our own Trish Regan this. They took you out of your prison and brought you to an airport? 
Yeah, we were at the airport for a night, and you know they told you us slept there at 20 the minutes. Yes, for a night, and you know they told us we're going to be there for 20 minutes, but it took like hours and hours. We slept at the airport, and when I asked them why you don't let us go, because the plane was there, pilot was there, everyone was ready that we leave the country, they said we are waiting uh, for another plane, and until that plane doesn't come, we never let you go. The president says there is nothing nefarious about that. So they were held there until the money came. What we have is. Uh, the manufacturing of outrage and a story that we disclosed in January. And the only bit of news that is relevant on this is the fact that we paid cash. I think it's interesting because it's both technically true. They're they're not technically related, but it's sort of like uh, he might have known the guys down the hall that he could go nudge and say, okay, uh, this is getting worked out now, so go ahead and free this money up. It's not necessarily a payment for the hostages. It is legitimately a payment for, or I guess it would be a repayment for that arms deal that went bad in 79. So it it is legally true what he is saying. But that money was released at that time as leverage. It's it's clear. I mean, it seems obvious. If you don't believe that, I would have to, you could be right. I will grant you there is the possibility that that is true. However, I will just come back to that in a second. I would grant you it is more likely that you choose to believe it and because President Obama is the one that introduced the term optics into our everyday news parlance on how something looks. The Obama administration is all about optics. Look at the suit that man's wearing. That they, they are so particular about his image in a way that I – unless you really closely monitor it, may not totally appreciate they know what they're doing. They were forced. The timing, their hand was forced. There's no way they would have done this because of the optics of the situation. If you don't believe that, if, if you believe that they were negligent and that they, that they did this unintentionally, then you're almost insulting the intelligence of President Obama because you are, you are essentially assuming that he is politically unsavvy in order to make such a blunder like that. So there's a bit of a cognitive disconnect because at the same time, it seems so obvious because of the timing and the money and being held there and the way it was transported and the fact that it was in cash. That all seems so clearly intentionally done as a payment for hostages. And if you choose to believe that it was not related, then you choose to believe that President Obama is not a politically savvy man. And that seems insulting to the president. News that is relevant on this is the fact that we paid cash. Is it manufactured outrage? Let's ask Howie Kurtz, host of Media Buzz, and Dr. Zudi Jasser of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy. Zudi, to you first, how does it look to you? Well, I think the president takes us for fools. And actually, you know, I have to tell you, as a Syrian American, and I'm sure many Iranian Americans are just offended and find it offensive that the president would just lie to us. I mean, do you really think, does he really think that we don't know what happens behind the scenes, that the team negotiating the, the prisoner release and the money return, the team negotiating the nuclear uh, deal don't talk to each other in, a, in an Islamist tyranny? Right. Not to mention, he later said in that same response that the $150 billion is not going to be used for 
terrorism, while Josh Earnest said that it is going to be used for nefarious issues and, and uh, things, and not to mention, it's being shipped okay. to Syria. It's being used as a genocide against Assad, by the Assad regime against innocent Syrians. I mean, it is just foolish. He's the one weaving the, the, the false tales. Well, Too bad I don't, I don't buy that guy's outrage for a moment, but uh, I do think it's... It's clear. I think some of his point is pretty clear. Now, this is the video that uh, Trump reportedly saw that he didn't actually see, but there turns out to be a video, apparently. Uh, that's that's how I follow it, at least. And uh, I'm going to play part one for you, and then I will play part two for you. This is from an uh, Iranian news source. So they they filmed it, and in this footage, they actually filmed the pallets of money. The Iranians had a costly proposal for the swap, the release of seven Iranians imprisoned in America, $1.7 billion, and clearance of the names of 16 Iranians who, on the pretext of violating oppressive sanctions, had been placed on a list of those facing criminal prosecution what? in America. What? But this was not all that Iran wanted. So also some um, Iranians that were put on a list of offenders because they violated sanctions were removed. That hasn't been, was that talked about a lot. Here's part two of that clip. Now in this exchange, the Iranians demand the entire $400 million in addition to $1.3 billion in deferred interest. It's fascinating to see the actual pallets of money. Um, and if you're a listener, but you have the supporter sync key, you might want to grab that. It's pretty cool looking. Uh, so now, of course, if you do believe that they paid for these hostages, does that break a law? Because I think there's, I think it's actually U.S. law that we don't negotiate. Was the Obama administration $400 million cash payout to Iran legal? If you like your hostage, you keep your hostage. The slug line of the single payer ransom program. $400 million in cash, euros and Swiss francs on an unmarked cargo plane. The reason it was concealed is because it's illegal. That's why. Brian, I'm asking you what you and the secretary think about this delivery we of have, cash. She was out of office by the time this happened. It's a standard Clinton technique. The money is in cash. Why in cash? Because that way you can't trace it. It's going to go straight to Hezbollah. Justice Department officials objected to sending a plane loaded with cash to Tehran. Their objections were overruled by the State Department. The Justice Department raised objections. Of course the Justice Department objected. It was illegal. Thirty years ago, this would have been something that would have launched congressional hearings. We would have had convictions. We would have had indictments. The regime laundered $400 million. If a private company had done this, this is called money laundering, the CEO would be in jail right now. Congressman Peter Roskin goes on the record. Good evening, sir. Greta, good to be with you. Thanks. Is this transaction, this $400,000 cash transaction, which incidentally people knew about in January, but it's getting more publicity now, uh, is this illegal, number one? And if it is, what are you going to do about it? Look, I think it is illegal. It's $400 million, and the administration is trying to dis-whitewash this, saying, oh, everybody knew about it. No, nobody knew about it. And this is now clearly contemporaneous, that is, cash for hostages. And what it is an illustration of is just this desperate desire on the part of the Obama administration to come up with some foreign policy legacy around the Iran deal. And there is nothing, and I'll repeat this, there is nothing that the Iranians can do that the Obama 
administration would walk away from. And now they're defending this. They've been complicit in, in transferring cash for hostages. Period, paragraph, end of letter. I think that it's fair to say. That, I mean, I, mean I, I went back and did some research that it was in the public. There were reports about it last January, but I think you know the media fell down on this one. We covered it. We talked about it. There was a huge detail left out. It wasn't just that it was cash, like Obama says. That's not the actual huge detail. The big detail was the timing, and that when this story rebroke last week. That was the lead point of the story. The timing, the timing, the timing. Now we're all getting distracted, well, or intentionally getting distracted, by the cash, the pallets. It's, it was the timing. And, of course, the fact that Iranian state media said that it was for hostage payments. There was also that. That part of it was sort of, yeah, hmm. There is actually a little bit of breaking news when it comes to the whole terrorism category, which didn't make it in our main terrorism segment. I'll probably... Uh, probably regret not covering this, perhaps, because this could develop further, so we should cover it now. An American is one of two university professors kidnapped in Afghanistan. Security officials say the unidentified victim was with an Australian colleague in Kabul last night when they were abducted. They are professors at the American University of Afghanistan. Charlie Daggett is following the investigation from London. Charlie, good morning. Good morning. The U.S. Embassy in Kabul has confirmed that an American citizen was kidnapped near the university. Robot. They're withholding his identity for now. Afghan officials tell CBS News a number of gunmen in military-type fatigues forced the two professors out of their SUV at gunpoint. Though kidnapping is sometimes a work of criminal gangs, the fear here is that they could be sold up to the Taliban or ISIS, which has been fighting to gain a hold in Afghanistan. ISIS claimed responsibility for the suicide bombing of a rally in Kabul last month that killed more than 80 people. And just last week, they released photos purporting to show weapons and equipment seized from American forces, including an ID card of a U.S. soldier. Now, the U.S. military in Kabul said that soldier is safe with his, with his unit and on active duty. But the Taliban remains on the attack, too. Convenient idea to have a, a compound housing foreigners last week. Recently, police in Kabul advised foreigners to travel with armed guards and armored vehicles, warning their targets and the kidnap threat is high. There you go. So that seems interesting and newsworthy, like I probably should have played it earlier for you. I want to cover a couple of more things in the terrorism category while we're here. While we've arrived, there's a ceasefire between ISIS and the Taliban that I want to talk about. I also find it interesting that the media is picking up on this narrative right here. More now on the battle against ISIS. CIA Director John Brennan admitting just weeks ago the administration's strategy is not working. Watch. Now, we played this clip in June. And so for some reason, here we are on, in, in, in early August, and they're going, out, they're going back and pulling this from June 16th. Despite all our progress against ISIL on the battlefield and in the financial realm, our efforts have not reduced the group's terrorism capability and global reach. I don't really know why. I'm just sort of noting that they're sort of reaching back and doing that. Maybe it's just a grind and axe, but uh, I thought that was interesting. A lot more traction on Obama not having a plan post-Libya, but I wanted to skip that. That's in the sink if you want to watch it. We've covered that last week, too. This is Conflicting reports from Afghanistan suggest that the Taliban and the self-proclaimed Islamic State may have reached a ceasefire. But an Afghan Taliban spokesman says there is no agreement and they will continue to fight ISIS, what a job. leading some to believe there could be a split within the ranks. RT correspondent Guyana Chichikyan has the details. 
Taliban leaders have said a number of times that they're hostile to ISIL and that they're committed to fighting the terrorist group. The last time they said it was this Monday. A Taliban spokesperson said they had prevented the terrorist group from gaining foothold in Afghanistan. At the same time, an Afghan general suggests that the Taliban may no longer be as committed to fighting ISIL as they say they are. General Mohammed Zaman Waziri, who commands Afghan troops in the east of the country, said, quote, they fought deadly battles with the Taliban before, but over the past two months, there has been no fighting among them, hmm. end quote. But we know that ISIL is in Afghanistan. A few days ago, the terrorist group claimed it had captured sensitive U.S. military equipment there. Oh. So Afghan officials are now worried that the Taliban or part of the Taliban may be forging an informal alliance in eastern Afghanistan. That sounds bad. Put that in the overtime because I don't have much to add to it. Uh, while we're talking about the president it was just a few moments ago, I should have looped this clip in. Everybody loves talking about the nuke football. You know, you know what I'm talking about. That uh, briefcase that could end the entire world. Just a few feet from the president, no matter where the commander-in-chief happens to be, a military aide carries a briefcase. It's nicknamed the football, and the power this satchel can unleash is legendary. Immense, unprecedented power. Unprecedented. The United States currently, right now, deploys approximately 900 nuclear warheads that are on the order of 10 to 20 times more powerful than the weapons that destroyed Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Five military aides, one from each branch of the armed forces, work in a rotation carrying the football. For three years, as a young Marine major, Pete Metzger carried the nuclear football for President Reagan. The responsibility can be nerve-wracking. I wouldn't say I was on edge, but I was very, very, very focused on what I was going to do. I mean, the time is so short between alert and execution. You have to be ready any time for any moment. And that's why to destroy the world. Uh, one of us was always in very close proximity to the president. Metzger says there's a separate football for the vice president if the commander-in-chief becomes incapacitated. How does it compare to this? Bigger, heavier? It's uh, somewhat longer, a little bit wider, and somewhat heavier. Inside the case, he says, there's communication equipment. Metzger won't discuss the other contents. But Bill Gully, a former director of the White House military office, described in his book four crucial components inside. A so-called black book listing strike options for retaliation if the U.S. is attacked with nuclear weapons. A book listing bunker locations where the president can be taken in an emergency. A manila folder listing procedures for the emergency broadcast system. And a small card with authentication codes to verify it's the president ordering a nuclear launch. Uh, that is known as the biscuit. It's another interesting, interesting name. Hillary Clinton says Donald Trump doesn't have the right temperament to be trusted with the nuclear launch codes. The biscuit. Anyone who can be provoked by a tweet should not be anywhere near nuclear weapons. Trump has vehemently refuted that. Metzger says to carry the football, he had to undergo rigorous background checks by the military, Secret Service, and FBI. It included extensive psychiatric screening. The result of the decision the president would make is so grotesquely horrible, so grotesquely horrible, it would change the, the face of the earth, it would change humanity, it would change mankind. And I guess when you're on duty, you, you try not to think that's about how we go. Uh, That's how we roll. Fully... Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? All right, we're going to round out the overtime with just our last clips. We're now in the very last home stretch. I thought this was kind of a fun story, just to throw it here towards the end. 
Back now with what might be the most controversial news of the day. It has people divided on social media, some saying, I told you so. Now, what, is it something Donald Trump said? Is it something about Hillary's emails? Others saying, that's gross. It's a report that says... To what is it? What is it? Despite what we've been told for uh -huh, decades, uh -huh. flossing your teeth might not even work. Oh. And the evidence for it is weak and very unreliable. What? Here's NBC's Tammy Leitner. What? Flossing cleans off the plaque between your teeth. Flossing, of course. For decades, we've been told flossing is essential. Slide it back and forth. But a new report suggests that may not be the case. Brushing and flossing. Something that's difficult for lifelong flossers to accept. I'd rather rely on my mom's wisdom than the latest study to come out of whatever. Since this Oh, that's that's a, that's a winner. Yeah, you guys probably heard about that. Uh, I just thought that was kind of funny to play that one. And then one more. Nope, two more. Let's do two more. This was uh, sort of interesting to take us out. I know a lot of you listening came here for some of our tech shows. And uh, so this moment right now is an appreciation of you. Yeah. Go, everybody. Google's parent company, Alphabet, is getting ready to start testing its drone delivery service right here in the United States. The White House approved the Project Wing program this week as part of a wider initiative to explore commercial drone use. This follows Amazon's partnership with the British government to test its prime air drones in the U.K. CBS News contributor Nicholas Thompson is editor of the New Yorker magazine's website. It's called NewYorker.com, and he joins us at the table. I know a lot of us have to get with the program. It's 2016, <laughs> but for, for people who are still worried, what are the issues that have to be worked out before the drones, delivery drones are here? And working. A lot of issues. There's technical issues, for example. Drones can't really fly in cities. They can't avoid power lines. If they land on your porch to deliver a package, they might collide with you or collide with your dog. You've yeah. got to solve those problems. Another big problem is how can drones avoid each other in the air, right? If they're all flying, you don't want them to crash into each other. You also don't want them to crash into other airplanes. And then there are privacy concerns. A lot of people are concerned about drones flying above them, taking pictures. So all of those problems have to be solved. But what the Obama administration has done in the last few months is it has shown a real commitment to this. It has said, we're going to try to solve these problems, and we're going to try to have the drone industry happening here in the U.S. They've invested $35 million for a five-year study. Yep. But there's a competitive aspect. Is this the space race for this generation? <laughs> uh -huh. yeah. It's not quite the space race. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit smaller than that. And actually, we're a little bit behind, at least as the drone industry thinks about it. The UK, the reason Amazon is testing in the UK is because UK regulations are a little less restrictive, right? In the US, commercial drones have to be in what's called line of sight, meaning the person flying them has to be able to see them. In Britain, that's not the case. There are a whole bunch of regulations here that they don't have there. So Amazon's belief is that this industry is going to take off first in Europe and then in the US. And the companies that are leading the way in terms of drone delivery are Amazon... Who else? Amazon and Google, or Alphabet, the parent company of Google, is, is following. We don't really know what Alphabet has planned. They've just announced this big initiative with the government. We're not sure what they're up to. And today, Amazon has a big announcement about their own cargo plane. Right. So Amazon really cares about how fast stuff gets to you. And this is where the drones come in, and this is where their cargo planes come in. So they've leased 40 cargo planes. Uh -huh. They've just showed the first ones that are painted Amazon Prime. They are really, really trying to optimize delivery. And that's why drones are important to them, particularly in rural areas. And like Air Force One, they're calling it 
Amazon one, right? <laughs> yeah. I know the branding is a little, little dramatic. FedEx there. and UPS can't be too happy with this. Yeah. No, but what's interesting is that Amazon's business is growing so much, and as people move to internet purchasing from in-store purchasing, there are a lot of benefits to FedEx and UPS, right? I mean, I think the people who actually need to really worry about drone delivery are like bike messengers, right? Those are the people who get put out of business. There's going to be a lot of business for truck drivers in the future, no matter how big this gets. So I'm an Amazon Prime user. I only order from Amazon, but yesterday for the first time, I ordered from Walmart.com. Yeah. And they're about and to buy. What happened? Well, I think it'll be good. Yeah, uh-huh. but I mean, just and now they're going to expand and buy Jet.com. What does that mean for Walmart? Well, Walmart is is very concerned about Amazon. It's investing heavily in Jet, which is a startup that's challenging. We'll see what happens. The near future with Nick Thompson. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. <laughs> Thank you. Ha, 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 Nick. All right, so there you go. Drones coming your way. <laughs> now our last, our last clip. I, you know, recently was sort of thinking I wouldn't mind getting a Jeep for my next vehicle uh, because they uh, they make great tow vehicles. And um, now I'm not so sure. I, you know what, you know what, this is going to be a problem for all cars, really. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't put all of the hate on Jeep, but this this is not encouraging. Car thefts in Texas is part of a new high-tech trend for some criminals. Chris Van Cleve shows us how laptop computers could let the bad guys take off with your vehicle. Oh, Point, Charlie. click, steal. Security camera video uh-huh. outside of a Houston home shows this guy getting into a Jeep Wrangler and breaking out his laptop, apparently using the Jeep's onboard computer diagnostic port to trick it into accepting a generic key he brought with him. And then... Just driving off. Who needs to hotwire when you got a laptop? That Jeep belonged to David Payne's daughter. Actually, my daughter was sleeping in the room above it. Um, her dog was sleeping with her, and the dog slept through it. She slept through it. Nobody ever heard a thing. It's like being invaded, you know, the guy coming in stealing your stuff in your, in your driveway. Typically, thieves target older cars because of the value of their parts, but not these two. Working always at night, they struck again using a laptop to take this Jeep Grand Cherokee. Police arrested Michael Arce and Jesse Zalea, but believe the pair made off with up to 100 vehicles, which were then smuggled into Mexico. And if it's this easy to steal or somebody actually has the knowledge and the ability and knows how to utilize that ability to be able to commit the theft, it's a scary situation. Police say a similar string of Jeep thefts are under investigation in California. The National Insurance Crime Bureau, which investigates stolen car claims for the insurance industry, has noticed an uptick in newer, harder-to-steal vehicles being taken. Which sort of surprised us because because they have all this new technology. Spokeswoman Carol Kaplan. It's like, almost like cyber hotwiring. Yes. Uh, In the old days, thieves could hotwire a car, but when the new technology came along, it was no longer possible to hotwire a car. And that's why we saw auto thefts really drop off. Um, But as with any kind of crime, uh, the thieves always find a way to outwit technology. For CBS This Morning, Chris Van Cleve, Washington. They're not outwitting technology. They're not as... They're not outwitting technology. Did you... That is the... That is the... I'm going to... This morning, I got. Hold on, we got. Uh, the thieves always find a way to outwit technology. What they're using technology to steal the car? 
What kind of sense does that make? That is ridiculous. Uh, also, I like the uh, comment by Mr. Vendetta in the chat room. Oh, so that's how ISIS got all those Toyotas. Ah, comment of the day. Very good, sir. <laughs> Thank you for being here. I hope you enjoyed the overtime. I hope you invo- just enjoyed the whole damn show. If you'd like to keep us going, maybe we could have a few more of you show up on that Patreon page. I would, I would be absolutely elated because we are working harder than ever. 90 days left for this freaking election. I've never worked so hard on this show in my life. And I'd appreciate your support. Patreon.com slash unfilter. This is a project with, you want to talk about scope creep? I never, ever imagined. But the news has to be reported on. We must have the people's version of events. So we truck on. Patreon.com slash unfilter. Thanks for being here. We'll see you right back here next week. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash calendar if you want to join us for the overtime next time.